I'm laughing because I'm just like, just don't forget to hit record. <laughs> yeah, no, I got it. I got it. it is. If, if we, you know, because this is going to be a long episode and it's like, if we got to like, you know, it could possibly go like two hours. And if we're at two hours and I found out I didn't record, I'd be like, okay, fuck it. I quit. I'm done. We're not doing this ever again. That's the last time. <laughs> I'm sure the last time wasn't the last time. <laughs> anyway, let's get into it. I guess we should rush the building. Not so fast, look. They're coming out. It's over. We won. Ladies and gentlemen, school is out. It appears as if the final bell has rung for these students. Has Rip Randall given up? Has she and her fellow classmates failed Miss Toger's final exam? Is this the end of Rock and Roll High? And just what do you have to say for yourself, young lady? I've seen the errors of my ways. I just like to say to all students everywhere that you may think the school is yours for a while, but it is always run by the principal and her administration. Vince Lombardi High is is your school, Miss Togar. So you can have it. Well, I'm very happy to see that you've come to your senses. And what would you have done with the school anyway? Rock the roof off it. Hit it, Marky! Rock, 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 rock. Listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. The following podcast contains adult language, adult situations, and spoilers for the movies discussed occur often. You've been warned. Now, take it away, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on sight. back it is they must be destroyed on site episode 259 and i am your host lee a drunken vice riddled gnome russell and i (laughs) that's a good one (laughs) you laughed a little too much at that it's just funny because it just sounds like something you call yourself like it's just (laughs) that was a good one I think I'm a little hurt now. Um, Are you? You made that name up for yourself. (laughs) And you've heard her. I'm joined by my co-hostess with the mostest, Lee, 
if it's discipline that you students need, I'm the one who can provide it for you, Hardy. How are you doing, ma'am? <laughs> I am uh, totally into the uh, the S and M shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's 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 me. <laughs> I would I would both spank Mary Warnoff in this film and get spanked by her, definitely. Mm-hmm. Among other things, yeah. So we had this idea, like we should do some musicals, and we both decided. Well, you decided. Let's do two. Let's do two on, on, on an episode, and it's like it ended up being that we both ended up bringing one that uh, the other person hadn't seen. So it's probably going to end up being a pretty big episode because we got two movies covered. It's been a while since we've done that. We are doing Rock and Roll High School from 1979, and we're going to be doing Moulin Rouge from 2001. So it should be interesting to contrast and compare these two films because yeah. even though they're both musicals, they're very different musicals very in some ways. Different. Yeah. We are going to skip what we've watched uh, recently because we have a shit ton of comments to get through. Might be the most comments we've ever had on an episode, actually, of this podcast. Uh, You're gaining popularity. Jeez. Mm-hmm. And be- just before I get into that, though, I will mention, uh, check out our friend Vaughn's uh, podcast, Motion Picture Massacre. I was recently on his uh, latest episode where we covered mm-hmm. where we covered the film The Show which is a Alan Moore written and, uh, you know, Alan Moore of comic book fame, Swamp Thing, V for Vendetta, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's done a lot of great shit. Watchmen, very famous for not liking his adaptations of his work on film. In this, in this case, it's fully endorsed by him kind of thing. So it's kind of his vision on screen almost fully, if not fully. And we had a really good discussion about it. It's kind of a uh, detective noir film, but also like a fantasy film as well with like surreal dream imagery and stuff like that. And, and Vaughn and I had a really good conversation with it. I was very pleasantly surprised by the movie because it was something I'd never heard of or seen before. And Vaughn brought me on for it. So yeah, I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. Very cool. Mm. And we're going to get to the comments now. First couple come from old YouTube versions of our older episodes which is a thing we don't do anymore but every once in a while someone pops in and it sees people one are finding and, you yeah <laughs> first one is from episode 137 so that's quite a ways way way back wow. now yeah uh it's our episode keltiki the immortal monster and someone called rsefx says this is often considered a film in the lovecraftian vein if that matters that bandage pull-apart scene reminds me of stepping on gum on a really hot sidewalk. Yeah, all the sticky, stringy strands trying to cling on to the sole of the shoe. Uh, and just for reference for you, Lee, it's basically a blob movie. The, okay. It's like a blob monster, and there's like a lot of gooey effects in this one, which are like super impressive considering it's a movie from like 1959. I'd, I'd argue even the, the effects are much more gross and better than the effects in the original blob from 58. And then he goes on to say, nice to see some real appreciation for a film like this, i.e. one made on a small budget, but trying its best to provide as much production value as possible by clever use of the available resources. The lead actor doesn't require an Italian pronunciation. I just did a bad (laughs) job of pronouncing that word. Pronunciation, Uh, pronunciation. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that was good. That was so this good. was obviously this was obviously directed at me when I was reading the cast of the film. Uh, he was a British actor married to Vivian Leigh, by the way, who also had a notable part in A Night to Remember a year or two prior to this film. 
And he goes on to say the problem with some of the effects, primarily those inside the host, is that the miniatures weren't shot at a significantly higher rate of speed to lend the miniatures a sense of weight and size. Plus, we're shot with what appears to have been a wide open aperture, which makes for poor depth of field. Foregrounds and or backgrounds being slightly soft focused was generally a dead giveaway that the thing being photographed is likely on the small side. And how about mm-hmm. that for a run on sentence? Me or my bad? He says. <laughs> uh, anyway, enough picnics. Thanks for the video and comments. So thank you for the comments. And thanks yeah, for, it's very cool. Yeah, for bringing a little bit of insight into uh, how the film was shot. Yeah, that's very um, cool. Yeah, uh, going on, and this goes way, way fucking back. This is episode 66 of the podcast. Jeez, not even the hundreds yet. Mm, this is back when we were doing a lot of sex comedies. Hard Bodies and Perfect Timing was the episode. And Nicholas Tube 17 says, Ah, late night on HBO. I taped this on the family's Betamax. Yes, Betamax. Didn't get VHS until Sony decided to make a VHS. One of the many things I got ridiculed for in the 1980s. Add to the lists of Dillweed, Butthead, Pudknocker. Ah, memories. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry oh, you got yeah. so many names like that. That that's unfortunate, you know. You 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 stuck with Betamax until Sony decided, you know, we're 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 throwing in with VHS and cuz that's what porn has dictated is going to be the uh dominant format. So, yeah. Exactly. Wherever porn goes, technology goes. Mm. Never mind that Beta, Betamax was actually the superior uh format as far as like audiovisual and longevity. Oh, absolutely, but porn yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, going on. We got some Facebook comments uh, in regards to our Lust in the Dust episode. Oh, nice. Our our friend and fellow podcaster, Court Syops, says, so I got shouted out, called out by Lee <laughs> for my perversions. And Lee asks if I watch pornography. LOL. Best the name- pornography. The pornography. The pornography. Yeah, the <laughs> pornography. There we go. I stand corrected. <laughs> LOL. Best name drop I've gotten yet. Hashtag on Lee fans. Hashtag on Lee fans. As in Lady Lee. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I, I laughed when I saw that comment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we did a little bit of discussion like, yeah, we got to get Court back on the podcast. It's been far too long since he's been on here. I've this was... never had been mm-hmm. on him with him. On what? With what? Him. <laughs> when how why <laughs> all right you know you know what i i have a feeling i have a i have a feeling card is going to listen to this episode and he's not going to let that drop <laughs> that word salad you just threw down i don't think he's going to let that drop <laughs> i don't even know what that was that was like me trying to say something but that was know. a freudian slip is what that was yeah that oh yeah totally yeah um i know i'm actually pretty excited because i only know him like through facebook and like through podcasts so it'll be interesting to to finally get to do a podcast with him mm-hmm. yeah he's been on this podcast once before and i was on his podcast twice um very cool yeah so uh been a long been a long fucking time and we, we need to get him back on so we're gonna we're gonna figure that out hopefully sometime this summer we'll, we'll get him on for something uh we we agreed it had to be perverted so uh yeah we're gonna do that uh then we had a really nice comment from ryan egan here on our facebook and this is related to the movies we're doing tonight Said, I've loved both of these films since I was a kid. Glad you guys are covering musicals and two of my favorites of that. Cheers to you, fabulous hosts of my favorite film podcast. That's very sweet. Yeah, thank you very much. 
I've only I've only had like one or two people over the history of this podcast say this is my favorite film podcast. So it's it's always nice when I hear it. It's very very cool. I appreciate it too. Thank mm. you. And uh, then we have our friend Gary Hill of Cinema Beef, and he has some comments here. Do your parents know you're Ramones? <laughs> uh, That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, is this the one here? Do your parents know that you're Ramones? <laughs> <laughs> he says, "I love both of these for totally different reasons." Uh, on the one side, you got late '70s Corman school cheese with PJ Souls and Day Young looking very cute. Mary Warnoff doing what Mary Warnoff does, and the Ramones knowing that what movie they're in, and it's better for it. Uh, the other is just visually stunning with a certain Aussie lead just spitting fire the whole way. They also managed to keep some of the real history of that story in with all the glitz and spectacle. Cool side note, I got to meet the three ladies mentioned from Rock and Roll High School. Yeah. I wish, yeah, you, you know, Gary Hill does a lot of the uh, con uh, circuit, so he's always meeting these uh, stars of all these movies. I wish I had more time with Mary because she had the experience of being an Andy Warhol, Roger Corman, and Charlie Band girl. Yeah, just doing lots of independent film and low-budget film and B-movies and stuff. We were actually uh, discussing back and forth some of her other roles uh, in movies that we might do in the future here. And we initially was like, oh, this looks interesting. Then we saw the, uh, what, Prison of Go-Go is what it was called. It's like three hours. Yeah, and I was on a three point three, so I'm like, oh, that's gonna be a rough one. Just trying, trying to try to watch. I did not see good reviews of it. Um, yeah, that's why I was like, oh, I don't know if I can do it. Like, it's it's different if it's a bad movie and it's only like an hour and a half. Like yeah, three hours of a bad movie. Yeah, boobs can't uh, save it. Yeah, it's like even the hot you, shower scenes can't save it. <laughs> no, it's like it's supposed to be a spoof of women in prison films, but the one of the keys to the, all those films like those wizen wizen in prison <laughs> i am just on it tonight i am doing my, my shitting the bed it's my fucking a game um <laughs> all those women in prison films the key to them is that they're in and out of the, the fucking you know theater in like 80 minutes like you, you get in you get a bunch of titties you get some violence you get some you know sexy fun and, and stuff like that and then it's it's over there's no time to like slow down and uh, have like rambling dialogue or anything like that. So it's it's like, why would you do a three hour version of that unless it's like 20 minute extended shower scenes? And even then, it's like, I'm I'm probably good in 10 after 10 minutes. You know, <laughs> I say, I, once, once you have your first orgasm. Yeah. <laughs> the rest is pointless. <laughs> I mean, I, I could I could probably give back up halfway through and, and do it again. But it's like. <laughs> He'll be asleep by then. It's like nap time after that. Uh, Not necessarily, but um, still. Yeah, sometimes there's a bit too much of something in a film. Like, if if a film has too much nudity in it, you know you're doing something wrong. Like, that's... (laughs) And you're trying too hard. Yeah. And then, let's see, he goes on to say, she must have some great stories to tell. And uh, he says, I'm rambling. Have a good show, guys. Thank you, Gary. (laughs) And he also said uh, this earlier on in the week. He was talking about how he was uh, calling his co-host Suzanne from uh, Cinema Beef. And in relation to seeing the new Elvis movie, which is the uh, new one, the director of Moulin Rouge is is coming out with, uh, like, I think this month it's premiering or something like that uh baz lerman or whatever the fuck his name is and he says uh i'm trying to go see elvis this weekend so for my love of this movie 
uh, came up. I was sober, but broke into come what may. True story. The dogs were howling. He was talking to Suzanne to start singing that song, I guess, over the phone. And the dogs picked up on it. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's great, Gary. (laughs) Gary sounds like he has a very interesting life. It's it is it is never dull uh, yeah. as far as I can tell. Yeah. He has so many stories and he has so many experiences. Like I, I just feel I, I just don't have enough to say. <laughs> it's like oh, <laughs> you have stories for everything. I got nothing. <laughs> it's like well traveled. It's like you met PJ Souls. That that's story enough for me right there. It's like I envy you greatly. <laughs> um, even if PJ Souls told me to fuck off, I'd still be like that's so cool. <laughs> and then we have our friend previously mentioned here a few minutes ago, Von Kuhlmeyer from Motion Picture Massacre says Rock and Roll High School was the first time I found out the Ramones and I became obsessed with them, even though it was the biggest gimmick in all of punk history. Yeah, pretty, pretty much like mm, I'd argue maybe the uh, the Sex Pistols were a bit more slightly gimmicky. But I mean, the Ramones, they had they had the like the, the whole leather jackets similar haircuts they're all ramones kind of gimmick going on but and way better musicians than the fucking sex pistols any day of the week but he says i still love these guys moulin rouge is fine i think this film doesn't really hold up outside the song so so yeah we'll 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 get into it when when we talk about it but uh thanks for the comment vaughn we're going to take a very quick break and we're going to come back and talk about rock and roll high school and uh, I don't know about you, Lee, but I think we got this, man. We got this by the ad. You ungodly warlock. Motion Picture Massacre is dedicated to exploitation, cult, grindhouse, and horror films from the last 7,500 fucking years. I don't fucking know. It's everything. If you're interested in that, check out motionpicturemassacre.com. Or if you're on iTunes, search Motion Picture Massacre. And you'll find it. This has been your announcer, Cowardly Fuck Your Bags, signing off. Eat a dick. You ungodly warlock. So what do you think of my school, guys? Boy, when you have recess, you really go all out. Consider yourselves officially enrolled in Rock and Roll High School. The facilities are yours. Do whatever you want.
school and we have a trailer it's 1980 welcome to rock and roll high school rock and roll high school do you I am Miss Togar, and I am the new principal of this school. And who are you? I'm Riff Randall, rock and roller. The only girl I have a dream about at night is Riff. I've done more detentions than anyone in the school's history. Are you virgin? Ah, how about a cheerleader? Nice set of pom-poms. Tom wanted Riff, but Riff wanted to live a rock and roll fantasy to the music of her favorite group. The hottest band this side of the Iron Curtain, the Ramones! You have managed to upset the entire 
school with this godforsaken noise. Things sure have changed since we got kicked out of high school. Hey, come on, you guys, follow me into school. They tried to stop their music, but the kids got wrecked and rocked the school. I had all that time to grab a drink and I decided to grab it once everything was done. Yeah. No problem. I was smart. Hashtag professional. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was realizing my drink was almost empty. I'm like, maybe I should grab another one. Yeah, you should. Uh, okay, Rock and Roll High School, 1979, directed by Alan Arkush. Uh, he is known for mostly TV, but he did do some directing under uh, Corman early on here. Roger Corman, that is. Uh, he re- he directed Death Sport, which is one I've. I can't remember if we've done it. If we've done so many shows, sometimes I forget what <laughs> movies we've done. I know I've done it on several other podcasts too, because I, I kind of champion this one because it's it's absolutely terrible, but I enjoy the fuck out of it. You've done um, at least two hundred and fifty nine. That's not including the double episodes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he did Death Sport. He did Hollywood Boulevard. He did Caddyshack Two. And he's actually done a lot of, uh, well, a handful of Ramones uh, music videos. So he was well acquainted with the Ramones, I think, before even they got to doing this movie. Uh, then we also have Joe Dante as a co-director here. I believe he, I can't remember which order it is. I think he took over for Alan Arkush when he was exhausted from shooting, or it's the other way around, one or the other. But they... One of them did like pick up stuff for the other guy, basically. Um, Joe Dante is known for also co-directing Hollywood Boulevard, Piranha, The Howling, Gremlins, and Gremlins Part Two. Uh, he did Explorers, Inner Space, and The Burbs. So um, I think most people are familiar of his work to some extent. Uh, writers here: Richard uh, Whitley, Russ Dov- Dovinchik, I guess maybe I don't know. It's a weird name. Joseph McBride and then Alan Arkush and Joe Dante also have writing credits on this. Uh, they basically both came up with the idea for this like long ago and we're like trying to pitch this over and over again under different titles. And we'll get into that trivia as we go along. Uh, we got PJ Souls as Riff Randall. She's uh, best known for being in Carrie, Halloween and Stripes and this film. And uh, she just... She's doing this just coming off of Halloween, which is probably still her like iconic signature role in in that one. But uh, I like PJ Souls quite a bit. Uh, she's, she's so cute in this movie. Mm-hmm, she's great. She's and then like she kind of pulls off being a teenager, even though she's like twenty eight in this film. Yeah, <laughs> she's actually older than some of the Ramones at this point. In the in this, yeah, uh, we got Vincent Van Patten as Tom Roberts. Uh, he's also known for Hell Knight. Didn't have much of a career out, outside of that, though, as far as like movies and TV goes. He, he did some stuff. His biggest claim to fame these days is he's one of the commentators on the World Poker Tour. That's kind of like the thing he's been doing for the last quite quite a while now. So uh, there we go. We got Clint Howard as Eagle Bauer. 
brother to Ron Howard. Uh, he's been in basically everything. He's one of those guys' actors. Oh my god! As soon as I saw him, I'm like, my god, this is like M. Young. Mm-hmm. It's so shocking to see that. Uh, of course, he's he's been in a bunch of his brother's movies. He's always got like bit parts in his brother's movies. He's been in tons of B movies. Like just one of the uh, quintessential B movie veterans. M- most people might remember him if you're you know around my age might remember first seeing him in the uh, original series Star Trek episode, The Corbinite Maneuver, where he plays like this babyish looking alien, which, which was like kind of hitting the point where he stopped being cute and and everyone realized, oh, no, you're that's unfortunate. <laughs> I don't want to make fun, but like, I, I think he'd even agree that he's he's not a traditionally handsome dude at all. <laughs> It's not very attractive. No. Um, was he the one... Was he the one who had, like, really bad hair transplants? I don't think he's ever done hair hair transplants. Okay, it might have been a movie that he did where it looked like he had hair transplants that were might really have been. badly done. Either way, I just remember... I don't know who it was, but there was, like, one actor who had hair transplants, and they were so bad. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, I remember him, so it might have been, like, a gag movie. I was young. I was really... Like, I was a kid when I saw this. Mm-hmm. So it might have been a gag to it. It might have been just some movie where it was a side thing. Could could have remember, been. I remember I mean, his face for whatever reason, but again, I mean, I'll I'll, I'll give Clint ha- I'll give Clint Howard all the credit in the world. Like it, it doesn't seem like it's ever like his looks have ever been a bother to him. Like he he's just kind of like fully embraced and just had like a incredibly successful career, just constantly yeah. working. So like more power to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we got Day Young as uh, Kate Rambo, very cute in this movie. Uh, with those big fucking glasses, um, she doesn't have a like a necessarily a, a shit ton of uh, movie credits that people would know, but she was in Spaceballs in a bit part where she's the waitress at the diner there that like has the cleavage right up in in everybody's face kind of thing. Um, she was in The Serpent and the Rainbow, The Running Man. Uh, she had a role in Pretty Woman, and she's in Spontaneous Combustion, but. Uh, yeah, I think most of her stuff is TV for the most part. Uh, after this, for the most part. Uh, and then we have Mary Warnoff as Miss Togar. Incredible fucking career. Uh, has done a little bit of everything. Uh, Silent Night, Bloody Night, Sugar Cookies, which is something we discussed we're probably going to do on the podcast. Yeah. Um, Death Race 2000, Hollywood Boulevard, Eating Raul, Night of the Comet. Chopping Mall, which is something else we got to do on the podcast at some point. Uh, And she's in the sequel to this film, by the way, Rock and Roll High School Forever, uh, which we'll get into later in the trivia and stuff. Uh, And also, she's in a Ramones music video, Something to Believe in. So she she pops back up uh, with Ramones later on. Uh, We got Paul Bartell as Mr. McGee, or Mr. McGree, excuse me. And we've talked about him quite a quite a bit in the last couple episodes. So uh, if you don't know who Paul Bartel is, I don't know. Uh, too bad, so sad for you. Uh, we get Dick Miller as police chief. He's another. He's he is, that guy. He's the ultimate that guy. Uh, outside of like Harry Dean Stanton, he is the ultimate that guy actor. <laughs> Pretty much in everything, he's in every Joe Dante movie that I can recall. There might be one or two that he's not in, but pretty much all of them. Um, he's in early Corman stuff like Not of This Earth, 
had a starring role in a bucket of blood, the original little shop of horrors. Uh, he's in X, the man with X-ray eyes, the dirty dozen, uh, one we covered fly me. Yeah. Uh, as as a cab driver who gets a nice show. Uh, uh, Another one we covered on this podcast, Truck Turner, he's in that. He's in Piranha, The Howling, Terminator, Gremlins, Chopping Mall, Night of the Creeps, and The Burbs. And that's just to name a few things he's been in. He's just in a ton of stuff. Then we have Don Steele as Screaming Steve Stevens. And he was a real popular disc jockey from the 60s who had a pretty long career. He worked in a bunch of Corman stuff as himself or some sort of variation of himself. He was in Targets, Student Teachers, Death Race 2000, Grand Theft Auto, Eating Raul, Gremlins. And he was even in the shitty Kiss TV movie, Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. Here's a uh, little bit of Screamin' Steve. You just give old Screamin' Steve a call. I'm in the book under Screamin'. <laughs> and then we got Alex Elias as Coach Steroid. We have Lauren Lester as Fritz Hansel and Daniel Davies as Fritz Gretel. Uh, Fritz Hansel, his most notable credit is he is in the Batman animated series voicing Robin and Dick Grayson. So, yeah, so he had a uh, sort of voiceover career later on, voice actor career. Uh, And, of course, we have the Ramones, Joey, Johnny, Dee Dee, and Marky as themselves in this film. Plot for this, short and sweet, Ramones, fanatic and delinquent, Riff Randall battles it out with the strict new principal of Vince Lombardi High School, Miss Togar, with help from the Ramones. And, yeah, that's kind of the plot. (laughs) There's, um... I was just like going through the people in this movie. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of them that are dead. Like, <laughs> oh yeah, like a lot. I mean, it's only 1979. It's not as if they're all that old in this movie. The movie is 42 years old. But still, like, I'm not saying like there's young people like well they were young when they were in the movie that are dead. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not saying the older one. Obviously, if they're older, then yeah, like time. Well, well, like mo- most of them were in their 20s or something when, when they were filming this movie. So like, you know, died in their sixties or seventies. It's a lot younger. Like if you go through the movies, a lot of them died in like their twenties and thirties and forties. Oh really? Okay. Yeah. Like I was just looking at it. Um, well, a lot of the Ramones, obviously. Yeah. Dead. They all, they all died young for the most part. Forties, um, 50s, 60s, I think. Forties. Yeah, J- Joey, Joey died age 49 of like lymphoma. Uh, Johnny Ramone, he died of cancer a few years later. Yeah. Marky died of an overdose. Yeah. No, Dee Dee died of an overdose. Marky's actually still alive. Uh, uh, then there's Darby Crash. Died yeah. Too. Yeah, well, yeah, he's he's just got a bit part in the uh, audience of the concert, but he, yeah. was the, he was the lead singer of the Germs, and yeah, he, he died of an overdose early on. Yeah. He died of suicide. Su- suicide or overdose? It said suicide on the suicide. Thing. It could be by overdose. Yeah, maybe it was. I, I can't remember the details. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he, he did die young, very young. But yeah, if you go through like the, the thing, you're like, wow, this person died young. This person died pretty young. Oh, this person's dead. Like, it's- Yeah, and, and there, there's a lot of people, like if you look at the IMDb, like there's names in that cast list that are like uncredited. And they're mm-hmm. just like bit parts. I mean, even Alan Arkish, Arkush and um, Joe Dante have bit parts in this film as well. Uh, which is common with Corman productions is like everybody did a little bit of everything. 
So like you you see a movie and it's and it's probably going to have half the fucking production team as like actors in some small role at some point in the film. Mm-hmm. So that that, that kind of idea. But yeah, we'll we'll get into it here. Uh, I assume this is first time watch for you. Yeah. Yes, it was yeah. first time watch. For me. That, yeah, because that was the whole premise that I set up earlier on in the show that we had not watched each other's film. Of course, yeah. I'm a professional. Uh, please, Lee, tell me your sort of general thoughts on this one. It's a really silly movie. Mm-hmm. Like it's super, just over the top, like ridiculous. Um, there was, uh, I liked it. It was a lot of fun to watch. It was a lot of, it was a feel good movie. Like it mm-hmm. was, the the storyline itself. Um, there wasn't that much of a storyline. Like when you read the plot, that's yeah. it. Like there's nothing to the movie. There's no substance to the movie. And realistically, it's just the Ramones playing like over and over again there's a lot of other music in it yeah yeah so that's basically the musical like there's no Mm. actual like other than um pj singing uh school of rock or sorry high school rock and roll high school wow there you go you got it high school (laughs) fourth drive um (laughs) there's not really anything else out of it like it's all very ramones music Mm -hmm. um so that I thought, thought was kind of funny for like musical because like as soon as I saw the Ramones were in it, I'm like, okay, this will be good, and uh, it didn't really have the feel of a musical though. Like, it's not a it's not a traditional musical where it's like it definitely isn't where they're singing the plot. Yeah, yeah, like there's a couple of, but even then, like it, you only have Ramones as the artists or singers, mm-hmm. and then uh, PJ doing the one song, so. That's it. Like that's all you get for the music. It really was just an ad for the Ramones. Like, yeah, <laughs> it's just a long commercial for the Ramones. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I thought it was. I did think it was hilarious. Uh, there was a couple things that I didn't think dated very well. Like when the teacher was in the principal's office, um, getting undressed in front mm-hmm. of a student. I was like, mm, that seems a little bit wrong. <laughs> and then when like that same teacher, like Paul Bartel, Paul Bartel, oh wow, mm-hmm. you got it. <sighs> Nailed okay. It. Anyways, um, <laughs> the, the music professor teacher was like grinding against PJ. I would say he was quite grinding against her, but I mean, they oh, his butt was good against it. Like I know, realistically, like if you think about it, uh, the age gap wasn't that great. Like they mm-hmm. probably uh, were having, obviously, they were having fun. Like, you see, they're having fun, but visually, like as a teacher doing that to a student, doesn't matter what it was. Like his butt was rubbing <laughs> against the student. With that said, like I said before, uh, it looks like everyone had a lot of fun doing this movie. Mm-hmm. Like I know at one point when the lunch ladies were getting food tossed at them, one of them looked like she was laughing. <laughs> yeah. 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 And Ramones' actors are garbage. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're, no, they're absolutely terrible in the film, but like. But it made it so much better. Because mm-hmm. had it been like more serious, I don't think it would have been good. Like, had they been good at what they did, I think because they were bad, it just added to the cheesiness of this movie. Well, that 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 is a trivia note. Uh, Dee Dee, the bassist, uh, was so terrible that they cut most of his lines. Like he 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 only gets to talk during the scene where uh, they're eating pizza backstage after the yeah. and the, his only line is like "Wow, pizza" or whatever the fuck. Because he apparently he, and I mean. Sad thing is, Dee Dee was kind of a, like a lifelong junkie, and you could tell he was visibly fucked up in this film. I was reading that he was bipolar as well, so that doesn't help because, like, back in the mm-hmm. 
eighties or even before that, like it wasn't taken well, as seriously. Yeah. I, I, I don't, he was even diagnosed back then, you know, like it's just, uh, but he, yeah, he, he you, you could tell DD was visibly fucked up and out of it. Like he was not acting. He was just like, that's DD. And, and yeah, they're, yeah, the Rowans were not actors, but I mean, it, the movie kind of carries them anyway because it's like the movie tells you they're the greatest shit ever, so you just sort of go with it, kind of thing. Well, I think it just it added on because because they were so bad and this movie was so cheesy, mm-hmm. you just didn't care because it was like I don't know, had it been good, it would have been trying too hard, but because they're bad, it just adds to like the cheesy. Yeah, yeah, no, totally you, agree. And you see, like, the smiles that are trying to, like, they're trying to stop smiling. Because mm-hmm. they have these, like, goofy smiles when they're trying to say their lines and do stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is hilarious. So, uh, <laughs> but everybody looked like, all the actors looked like they were having an amazing time. Like, just having a a grand old time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like the recording of this movie would have been, like, to be a part of this movie would have been amazing. Yeah, it looks it looks like total fun. Um, I mean, PJ Souls, look, she just carries this. It, it's it's kind of strange that she didn't get more starring roles because she's like great in this. Like she's a little bit Valley Girl, bit of a punk chick. She's like every teenage boy's like kind of dream of the cool rock chick in high school that you wanted to like get with. Um, <laughs> she reminds me a little bit of you because she's goofy as fuck. Um, Adorable. Yeah, it, I love the the friendship between Kate and uh, Riff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was actually going to mention that uh, it it actually comes off as incredibly genuine. Like they have great chemistry, and like that's actually kind of a little bit of the actual heart of the the film. What what there is in it, where she first she teases Kate a little bit. You know, she's like, "Oh yeah, we'll set up this double date with Tom and Eagle Bauer, but I'm going to date Tom." She's like, you didn't think I was gonna steal them from you, do you? You you dumb broad. Like I'm I'm gonna walk off and like I'm gonna take this buck to freak's dick while you <laughs> hook up with Tom. Basically, like she's she's jumping on Eagle Bauer's dick, so uh, Tom and her can hook up. So that like she's she's a true friend. Like she, she, she's adorable. Like they're yeah. adorable. They're so cute. That moment was like it showed their friendship. And mm-hmm. then afterwards, when she's like, what? Or uh, Kate was like, what? what's wrong with my clothes? And Riff's like, I'm going to get you dressed up. Mm-hmm. Like, That's so cute. Um, I fucked up the surface tension this time. Did you? Oh, yeah. did pour over? Yeah, just a little bit. Just a little oh, bit. fuck. Didn't work as well. It's not that much. But now it's it's very full again. <laughs> <laughs> but no no show tonight. No, no show. No. It's on no, the side. Okay. And I can't move it, so I apologize. Um. Yeah, I uh, okay. So there was one thing I thought was funny was how at the beginning they said that uh, the principal was going to rule with an iron hand. I always thought it was the iron fist. Is that not? Yeah, iron fist is and 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 funny enough uh, in the sequel, which Mary Warnoff shows up for, of course, playing a similar character but one under a different name. I seem to recall she actually has an iron fist or hand or whatever in that uh, I might be wrong about that but I wonder if they I, just took the mistake that they made and just ran with it maybe, maybe they did maybe they did um, but uh, I, I, I fucking love this film this is actually one of my absolute favorite films of all time um, it's my favorite so musical it, it's so goofy but it's like a note perfect mixture of like 
rock rebel teen movies from the 1950s mixed with goofy beach party films from the 60s. Yeah. And then also it's got a bit of that like sex comedy edge to it where it's just sexy enough without showing nudity. Like it, it's teasing you all the time. Like you got that scene where they're in the gym where they're wearing those those leotards or whatever and the, the shorts over the leotards or sometimes they're wearing just like a really tight, sexy top. They got shorts on. Some of them actually have nylons coming down under, under, under the shorts for some reason, whatever. Uh, I don't care. It looks good. I'm not complaining. The They had the whole, like, girls with glasses thing. Yeah. She where went up to the guy, and she's like, hey. And he just had no interest. And all of a sudden, at the end, she's like the cool chick. I wonder if this is the first instance of that. That, that makes me wonder, because... She is stunningly cute. I love and, the glasses on her. And she looks great with the glasses on. It's like just like already it's like she's so she's super fucking hot. But it's like the trope of she takes the glasses off and all of a sudden, oh yeah, now she's noticed. And it's I, like hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it pissed me off. Uh, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Girls with glasses can be attractive, okay? Yeah fucking anti-glasses people <laughs> glass phobia glass phobia glass phobic um i really 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 love the clothes in this in this mm-hmm. they had oh like when um when you see the intro like the beginning where they're all like dancing and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was so into the clothes. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And the dance moves, they're like the best dance moves. Every, and- every, yeah, because it's all like, it's all like the kind of dancing I could pull off. <laughs> as uncoordinated as I am, it's like I, I could actually pull off dancing like that and have fun. <laughs> but it looked, it looked like a lot of fun. And uh, Tom, at the beginning, mm-hmm. when he got distracted by the girls. Like, I was watching him, like, when in high school could you wear those tops? I know this is in the well. It's it's rock and roll 80s, high school. But even then, like it's still your the whole dress code thing. Like I know you'll see girls with tops in other movies where it's not allowed now, and mm-hmm. they still wear tiny tops. No, these were like braless, backless, tiny things. Was this a thing in the eighties? Like, could you wear this in the eighties? I I want to know. Like, I anybody you any, you clearly have never gone to a rock and roll high school. Lee. That's all I got. I have there. not. I'm also yeah. I have not. But I want to know if there's anybody whoever went to school in the eighties and nineties, like high school in the eighties and nineties. I want to know. Could I don't wear th- the I, tops? I don't think it is a thing. I think I think the movie kind of clearly sets up that at the beginning of this film the titular rock and roll high school <laughs> has been overrun by the delinquent teenagers who are having way too much fun, according to some people, but basically they rule the school. So it's like they can do whatever the fuck they want. They can dress however they want. If I mean, if, if they wanted to go R rated, they could have been walking down the hallway with their titties out if, if they wanted to. So I just, I, I just see it around. I see it in a lot of teenage movies like the teenage mm-hmm. whatever i see a, in the 80s too like a different different movies i always see these like tiny tiny tops and tiny things and i know like even now in more recent movies i don't think it's as as of now but like the 90s 2000s 2010 2000s movies no they mm-hmm. had again the tiny tops and 
it, it, I it, it, know it if is, there's ever a time where girls could do that. Like I'm kind of. I I don't think it was like anything widespread. Like there might have been some schools that were like lenient or whatever, but like it, it's more just a trope of sex comedies. And I mean, it it, it gets made fun of and not another teen movie, right? Because you have uh, Nadia, you are you have Ariola, excuse me, the foreign exchange student who walks around the school nude. Like it, it's basically you know just that, like that was a mockery. Fun. That was like yeah, no, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying it's mocking the fact that a lot of these sex comedies had this hyper sexualized version of high school girls wearing stuff that they would actually never get away with in real life, but it's wish fulfillment stuff for dudes who want to jack off and chicks who are into hot chicks. Like it, it, it's very much what that is, right? Like it, it, it's very much wish fulfillment stuff. That's what sex uh, comedies were in the eighties. I get, yeah, but some of them were, I don't think were sex comedies. Some of them are general ones. Like I, I think, I think the movies in general, kind of like whether it's like an explicit sex comedy or just, a comedy set in a high school or whatever, you're always going to have a little bit of titillation in in that sort of regard. It's just kind of a trope. So either way, I just want to know if anyone can answer me. Any anyone out there who is like sixty right now, who who was in high school back in like the seventies or whatever, you know, tell us. Tell us, did, were you walking around high school like somewhere in some like buttfuck town in in the U.S. or something where girls were just like basically almost tits out all the time and it was not frowned upon? Because I I don't know if that's a thing, but I got in trouble for wearing a sleeveless shirt. Like I had, oh sorry, like a it wasn't a tank top, but it was like a thick sleeve tank top. Mm-hmm. And I got in trouble for wearing that because the teacher was like, "You have to have like a, a, a it has to be a short sleeve. It can't be like can't show your shoulders." And it was like one of those ones. Like I thought it was like the three fingers. Like if it was three fingers, you were good. And this one was like I think the three fingers it fit, but it was like a little bit bigger than the three fingers. And I got in trouble for that. Mm-hmm. And it was it wasn't even like short. It was like so you had the three fingers, and then it had like the the cut like a little bit higher than this. So it was like up to my neck, and I got in trouble for that. What? Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. I mean, and then okay. we did the whole like we had the rule of like your hand on your thigh, and if it was shorter, then your skirt's too short. Okay, well I have short arms, so I can wear really short skirts. So every single time um, I went to school and I had a skirt, they're like, "Lee, your skirt's too short." I'm like, it fits. It's in the did, rules. Did they, did they have like Sharia law in North Bay for a while, or like what? Oh no, you didn't go to high school in North Bay. You went. Somewhere, but yeah, like, I did push the I did push the um, the dress code though when I was younger. I very I mean, much did. I mean, more so than a lot of other students. Okay, well, I, I can believe that. I've I've definitely seen pictures of you younger, and yes, you you were a little fox. Ah, thanks. Um, still are, could, still are, but you know, like. But I wore yeah. like I would wear like the low rise jeans. I would wear the high shirts. I'd show off my midriff mm-hmm. all the time. Um, I was super fit back then, so why not? But I had, like, the tiny tank tops. Like, yeah, I was... Uh... <laughs> I broke the rules a lot. Paul Bart, you, you're, you're telling me that Paul Bartell would have, like, danced with you with his... taking his coat off? Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I just love this film because, yeah, you're right. It's It's super goofy. It's, like, 
total like just running gags all the time. The uh, mouse. Riff, the the mouse. Yes, the mouse. Which like exploding mice, and then we have these like giant anth- anthropomorphic mice showing up. One is like the mother apparently of some mice that end up exploding in the school. It's the other it's one just, goes to a the Ramones concert with his headphones. Yeah, you yeah. Don't allow any mice in here because they explode. Oh, you got your headphones? Okay, don't take them off. Funny thing, the the costume they use for the mouse uh, was actually designed by Rob Bottin, who went on to do the effects work for the thing. Oh, very cool. Yeah, uh, early early work for him here. Um, t- tons of like just like great running gag. Uh, Riff's gag where she, she so she wants to get tickets for uh, the Ramones concert she's going to so she hangs out in front of the place to get the tickets and so she has uh, Kate show up every day with a new excuse note for, for Togar uh, so it's like first off it's like her mother died then her father died then her goldfish died and it's just it's a funny little fucking running gag and while Riff is at the ticket place waiting for the thing to open to sell tickets. She's getting milk delivered to her and the milkman's exchanging bottles. <laughs> are you old enough to remember that ever being a thing where milkman deli- delivered milk to, a, to so, the door? In my hometown, it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So we never had that. But in England, when I went to go visit my uncle, he had milk delivered to his door. Yeah. I don't think I do, uh, I've never experienced that myself either, but I I do I do know that like that was still a British thing back in my day and probably still happened at some places in the U.S. Um, I like the uh, I say I like this. I'm, I'm just like okay, yeah, this is a movie from 1979, the non-PC version of the Ticket Scalper, which is a Indian guy in a headdress with a tomahawk at the ticket line. Just a little little bit of a racist joke there. Um, yeah. I also, my, I think my favorite joke in this is the nerd who keeps getting stuffed in things, getting stuffed in like lockers and like the trophy case. And then at the end of the film, they had left them in the school when it blows up and he comes out of the school all like, like you know, he's got burn marks on him and stuff. <laughs> he survived the school exploding. Uh, I, I can That's one thing I can't handle. Um, yeah. I know it's funny. I know it's for a gag. I just can't handle that stuff. Uh, it's the whole, like, um, tolerance to bullying. Mm-hmm. And uh, I saw shit that happened in my high school where it didn't matter what you did. The teachers did fuck all about it. Yeah. Because if you told the teachers you're a tattletale, if you didn't do anything, well, you didn't tell us anything. Um, so, not a fan. Yeah, but I get that. I get the movie. I get why they did it. I get it was fun. So, mm-hmm. just, uh, it was just one small thing. Again, one of those small things that just didn't age as well, because, like, that it was is... a joke that was made in a lot of movies. But, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Unfortunately, that's taken a lot seriously now. Yeah. Um, I thought the the men's washroom was hilarious. Yeah, where Eagle Bauer has this sort of like uh, crazy one-stop shopping business for all your like uh, either drug or sex needs, basically. It's like, you need drugs? We can set you up. You need to hook up with somebody? IDs. We can IDs? <laughs> we can set you up. And like at the beginning of the film, it's like, my business is getting hurt by this new Togar 
person. Like she's she's fucking with my shit. And yeah, the day that she starts, she's already fucking shit up. Yeah. <laughs> and and I love that, you know, Eagle Bauer ends up like trying to get Tom and Kate to hook up. And like he's got this whole elaborate like he, he makes like a fake lover's lane with a night backdrop to try to get him to like make out in the car. And oh, that was the practice to get to. Uh... PJ. Um, yeah, it was to get because of, because originally Tom wants to get with Riff, but Kate wants to hook up with Tom, and like Riff knows it, so eventually he she you know sets things up to get them together or whatever. But fucking the only thing that yeah. was how like he was like oh, I want Riff, and he's like you yeah, we could be friends, and they start making out. Girl, no, you could do better. Fuck yeah. him. Yeah, no, Don't like he. Him. You're right. But he's also presented as like a totally clueless dork who needs to be like kissed into reality, I guess, basically, you know. Yeah, but, but you still shouldn't take that. You don't need to deal with that. No, she definitely doesn't. But she is so down to fuck him. Like, she is all about like, <laughs> I need Tom stick in me now. <laughs> I don't want the D in my V. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I Okay, one thing I absolutely loved about this movie. So this is one of those movies that um, it's going to it's gonna be like continuously or it's going to have a longevity for cult classic mm-hmm. uh, simply because of the use of advanced technology back then and nowadays. So the big thing was the cassette, the portable cassette player mm-hmm. with the headphones. Like that is one thing that people are going to see and they're going to point at and laugh at it because it's so old school. Um, when Riff was trying to like get the phone and of course they didn't have cell phones. So mm-hmm. you have the pay phone in there. So there's another like shout out to like older technology, which they didn't know back then. Like, obviously, yeah, yeah. It's just one of those things that comically aged perfectly well. So it's not one of those things where you see the older technology and you're like, eh, this was like perfect. Like it just aged perfectly. Uh, then the old visa card. With mm-hmm. the next thing, yeah, that I was like, oh my god, this is, it's just things that I never had. It was things that was outdated when I was like a kid when I could start noticing things. So mm-hmm. I know what they are, like I've seen them, and there's sometimes I like you catch people using them still because like some people just don't advance quickly. <clears throat> Me, Russell. What? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but I I, I get it. You, you you grew up like no, I'm I'm the same way. Like grew up seeing like you know parents and and stuff like mm-hmm. still referencing these things. The waterbed, the color TV, like the fact oh. that a color TV. The van, the van. <laughs> like, it, does this count as a secret van exploitation film? Because Tom gets himself a fuck van, and. It's got everything. Like it is the fuck van of fuck vans. Like it, it's got the most carpeted, How? padded walls. How does the phone work in the van? Uh, like there, there were satellite phones, but that was just a regular phone. That was like a rotary phone. Maybe like the satellite yeah. phones are like big blocks. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like that, that is that is futuristic. Like this is set in 1980, Lee, but the movie was made in 1979. So this is the future. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's what it is. <laughs> anyway, mm-hmm. and the fact that they talked about it too, like it was very emphasized. Like all this technology was very emphasized too. So it just, like you saw the Visa card, like you saw the cassette player, you saw the phone in the car. 
you saw like he said color TV. Mm-hmm. And like, oh my god, it was so good. And calling it a wet bar too made me laugh. Yeah, but I mean the color TV thing. That actually was still kind of novel for a lot of people back then, because I can remember as a kid. Oh, me around too. Around that time, yeah, still had black and white TV. Me too, but yeah. that's what I mean. Like I owned a black and white TV, uh, so I this was when um, smaller portable TVs came around. Mm-hmm. So they had like the antenna, but it was only black and white. So it was like yay big, mm-hmm. and I I loved it. It was my little black and white TV, and I, I loved it. I watched the hockey games on it. Um, yeah, I watch hockey. Sport, yeah, sports, sports puck, yeah, that's good stuff. Uh, yeah, so I used to watch uh, the hockey games on it. I used to watch, like, I used to bring with my friend, and we used to like get random TV stations and watch in the back of the car because you could stick it in the cigarette holder or the mm-hmm. cigarette thing. Um, I just mean how like like proud they are of the technology. Like, it's just that. Anyways, I love it. I love it. I love that yeah. they're very like in your face about all of it. Like the, cre- I just remember the credit card being like, "Do you take Visa?" And like they put it in and they show the Visa card, like product placement right there. Oh yeah. god, it was so good. It was so good. Um, it's still good today. It ages perfectly because even though everything's outdated, it's a fun laugh to like all the things that, like I said, I didn't really experience, but I knew mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. And even you can figure it out too. Like when you see the cassette player, that's like our phones now that play our music. So you understand the the, the thing that's going on. And uh, same with like the phone in the car. Like you understand that phone in cars was like a big thing, even though this mm-hmm. was a regular phone. I don't know how it worked. But anyways, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, and the color TV. We have TVs now. So like you can laugh about this technology because it's all technology that we, ha- that we have that's completely advanced. But back then it was like high tech. Everybody's got it on a little portable device now. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So um, yeah. That's that's thing that I really enjoyed. Uh, I'm trying to look at my notes. Oh, okay, yeah. So other things I didn't really care about the the announcement for like the girl, like how he described the girl, like she's perfect, she's this, she's that, mm. like trying to sell off a girl. Uh, that was one of those things I was like, eh. but again. I get it. It was for the movie. Mm-hmm. It worked. It was funny. I just, me personally, am like bitter. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. Um, I really didn't like how um, the principal was holding on to the mouse's tail for so long. That yeah. really bothered me. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. then when they had it in the thing and it was bouncing because it was a real mouse bouncing, I'm like, oh, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? I don't like that. <laughs> Uh, it bugged me so much. It bugged me so much. Like, uh, at least they didn't actually really explode any mice uh, in the film. I get that, but I just don't yeah. like how that one was treated because that was no, I, that that's, that was very that's, traumatizing. It's totally valid. I love mice. I think mice are really cool. I like. I love rodents in general. I think they're super adorable and awesome. So, mind you, I'm also the person who like rescues bugs out of pools because mm-hmm. I don't like when bugs. I I think. I think it all deserves a fighting chance. <laughs> um, same with wasps. I try to save wasps because, like, even though they're annoying as fuck and they'll probably sting me, I still try to save them when they get stuck in restaurants and stuff. I mean, when I mean when it get when it comes down to it, wasps are only doing what wasps do. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's not like they're malicious. No, no, and a lot of times too, if you leave a wasp alone, they won't do anything to you. They'll just yeah. leave you be. They're just, if you swatted it, they feel threatened. So they're going to attack so they can get away. Mm. 
but, but, um, at the same, but at the same time, you can't have a wasp nest inside your restaurant. No. So, yeah. No, I just mean the ones that, because um, there was a, this is like a theory from somebody, but there was a house, there was a building that burnt down. And they said that caused a disturbance for a lot of like wasps downtown. Mm-hmm. So I guess like the nests and stuff over the winter. So they had to like refine a place. And that's why downtown was really uh, bothered by them. Because last year we were swarmed. Like it was really bad. I don't know how true this theory is. Uh, but either way, got really bad for all restaurants. Anybody downtown got really bad. So I remember, like, there was a bunch of wasps that ended up with one drink. <laughs> and I was trying to, like, get them out without getting stung. So I'm, like, shaking this glass. I'm like, just just get out of the glass because I bring you inside. You're all going to die. <laughs> you know what? You know what the best thing about this is? Is that, like, this, the, the last couple minutes of this conversation, if you take the wasp as the, the white Anglo Saxon person oh. <laughs> thing, it still applies. <laughs> Where you're just trying to get a bunch of white people out of your fucking establishment, you know? <laughs> it, it still works. Oh, my God. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> anyway, yeah. I have saved many wasps' lives. <laughs> there you so. go. You you are a savior to the white race. That really came off wrong. I, <laughs> I just I I didn't even get to stop myself, but I was thinking it while I was saying. <laughs> that was terrible. <laughs> no yeah. wasps, as in the ones that sting you, that live outside, that right. are insects that have wings could still could still apply to <laughs> that some. have flight wings and can fly. Uh, some of they're them probably little, doing, and some, their skin color is yellow and black. Some of them probably still do enough fucking meth that they think they can fly. That's thinking these can. Um, okay, let's get back into this. Oh, um, and also, I gagged. I like had to turn away when the guy ate the fish. Oh yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I'm pretty sure that that looked like a real fish too. Like, well, I, don't I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that happened. Maybe, maybe not. But I, again, I looked really quickly because I, I, as soon as he did it, I was like, nope, nope, nope. I do have a friend though. I do have a friend who, uh, at a stag and doe, they had a challenge that whoever got this had to eat a fish, like a goldfish, and she ate the goldfish, like it was a live goldfish that she just ate. She like literally poked in her mouth and ate it. She's like, meh. It's like I have it worse. I mean. Kirk Cobain all told us all it's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. So, but they do have feelings. Anyway, oh, um, okay. I thought it was funny. I just, I, I mean, I thought it was gross. And the fact that my friend did it, I love her to death. But every time I think of it, I kind of gag a little because. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I will say, uh, Mary Warnoff as Togar is like a good foil to uh, riff in this, and like she kind of holds up like the other end of the movie. Mm-hmm. She's like. A very like hate to say it this way but sexy fascist who you know who and like she plays this up in the sequel a lot she, more oh uh, she does a good job though she plays like i okay hilarious with her like uh lackeys the one mm-hmm. that starts describing how he wants her to like do naughty things to her oh <laughs> uh, they both they both want to fuck her so bad like there there's a gag with them where they have to you know strip search or whatever which you know comes back to bite the uh, Riff Randall's nemesis in the ass, you know, as far as like mm-hmm. uh, groupie stuff goes. But fucking, yeah, they they totally both want to fuck her like so bad, and I mean I can't blame them. Just like it's kind of like Ilsa, she wolf of the SS vibes, but with less murder and torture. So it's kind of like a nerfed version of that. And I I kind of like that the teachers 
they're already kind of set up as like we're not too cool with this new principal like she's kind of weird and she seems a little pushy and it's like you know eventually they're going to turn over and like ah, we're going to like the Ramones and Riff Randall we're, we're going to become rockers and stuff and you know in Paul Bartel when he goes to the fucking Ramones concert and everyone's laughing at him but he still is like I'm going to be me man I'm, I'm, I'm going to dress up for the concert I'm going to show up and I love that it kind of is what an actual Ramones concert back in the day was. Like we get some actual footage of an actual Ramones concert in this film. And so it, we get, I I think we get like around 11 minutes or something of like music kind of with a little bit of scenes cut in between. It's literally, it is a Ramones movie. Like I said, it's a Ramones advertisement. mm -hmm. It's just, but, but, but the funny thing is, so here's the thing. So they play like, I think maybe four or five songs in that thing. And that's like they're playing at the normal speed you'd hear on their albums. Mm-hmm. When they actually did real concerts, they would do most of their songs at two or three times the speed. And they would fit probably about the amount of songs they fit in that film, in, in the actual film. They In that time frame, they would have fit, fit about, I don't know, 10 to 15 songs within that time frame, the way they used to do it. But I, I kind of love how the concert is portrayed as if you're cool you're in like mm-hmm. it, it doesn't matter if you're a stuffy music teacher you're you know a teenager you're a mouse whatever the fuck as long as you're cool you're in gabba gabba hey we accept you as one of us kind of thing and it's like the movie gets the ramones and what they were kind of about and the sort of message they had which is one of my favorite things about this film. Other than the one guy, um, everybody we have, got along in the high school. Yeah, and then I mean, the one guy at the at the go try to get into the show is like he pulled his sunglasses up. Oh no, you're way too stoned. You oh no, I mean the 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 school because everybody loves Ramon in the school and everyone's dancing, everyone's equal except for the one yeah. guy who like gets stuffed and things all the time. Yeah. Um, but everyone else is like friends. Like it's just. It is it is a very uh, idealized version of like high school in the seventies because if, if you contrast this to uh, like you can compare and contrast this to something like uh, Carrie for instance uh, where high school you know and PJ Souls is actually in Carrie as well um, where high school is just shown as kind of a horror show where it's like mm-hmm. it, it shows like the worst possible like toxic mm-hmm. behavior in high school yeah this high school's fun like everybody kind of gets along for the most part you know other than the unfortunate nerd character who like gets keep, keeps getting being put in things you know it, that's just a joke though you know kind of thing otherwise it's like it's got a very positive mm-hmm. goofy kind of ideal of yeah this is a cool high school this, this is the place you want to be man um Okay, so I thought it was hilarious because I remember I was never old enough for this because uh, computers kind of came into play. But mm. I remember hearing about people who would wait in line for days mm-hmm. so they get tickets to a concert. And yeah. I remember like the radio station would go out and be asking people, like, how long you've been waiting out here for? How long you've been waiting out here for? So it was just hilarious to see that where the girl waited or uh, PJ waited for three days mm-hmm. to get these tickets. And then she's like, I'm going to buy a hundred tickets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like what? And then she just gives them away. 
Like, yeah, here, have them. So either concert tickets were insanely cheap back then, or she had a lot of money to burn. <laughs> she might have. She might have saved all of her money up. I mean, fun, funny note here, uh, PJ Souls, she actually paid, like, she actually bought her own costumes for the film. Really? And, and Yeah, and she spent her entire uh, salary she got on this film on the costumes. So she didn't actually make any money on this film. She just did the film and bought her own costumes and kept the clothes, I guess. That's awesome. So, yeah, the, so, the costumes are amazing. So, yeah, so she's got, like, you know, she's got all these, like, tight leotard stuff. She's got that, like, really cool striped one that she wears at one point. Mm-hmm. She's got the sexy red underwear she wears and, like, her, where, where you know, she, she smokes a joint on her bed and she plays a Ramones record and all of a sudden she imagines the Ramones serenading her in her bedroom. I... I'm going to say right now, without any joint, the amount of times I've like daydreamed about artists seducing me while I listen to them is unreal. <laughs> that is not just something high people do. That is something non-high people do. <laughs> yeah, because you're, you're, you're a person who you've never smoked any pot, right? Mm. Or very, very little. The, yeah, no, nothing. None. So, yeah. Zero. Nada. I'm not against yeah. it. I no don't even care like i i buy uh now that it's legal i buy um edibles and weed and stuff for friends because i know they Mm -hmm. like it so i treat them to that so yeah i've got nothing against it i just never was interested yeah so but but yeah like that that whole fantasy sequence that's that's fucking great like the world's just being goofy (laughs) and her just falling okay so it's hilarious because again she's supposed to be in high school they're supposed to be adults Again, funny, like, visualization thinking. Obviously, I knew she was older because, like, that would have been very no-no. Mm-hmm. Like, having a teenager and a bunch of adults. Um, mind you, it was the 80s, so 70s? So I mean, they're, they're, I mean, even if she was a teenager, the, the age difference wouldn't have been major. It, like, Still. It, yeah. It's a it's a no-no for me. It's just one of those things. Like, if you're in your 20s, don't touch a seven, uh, someone in their teens. Like, just... Yeah. Let it go. Leave it. Just don't. Just don't. Um, Do it. Unless it's nineteen twenty. That is the only time where it's acceptable. Yeah. That's that's that will be that makes sense though. That's like literally a year. Uh, yeah, but, and you you know she might have failed grade twelve a couple times. But she's supposed to be portrayed as like a seventeen year old. Yeah, she's supposed to be a seventeen year old. I, I know. I'm just yeah. joking. But yeah. Uh, and they're. I think it was mentioned that they're adults. Oh yeah, because he said when we were in high school. So you get the idea that they're adults. That they could yeah, they're they're all in their they're all in their twenties, early twenties. Yeah, so yeah. a big no no, but because she was older, and like you said, she was probably older than some of them. She was older than like I think maybe all of them, honestly. No, I, I think only I think only Johnny Ramone, the guitar player, was older than her. I heard Johnny was a big conservative or read that he, he was very conservative. He was a yeah, he was a kind of a diehard, like pro-American conservative guy in a lot of and ways. Joey was like the opposite. I was reading about the uh, the conflict that they had. Yeah, they sad story of the Ramones is basically they kept on plugging along for like years and not getting any real commercial success outside of like a cult following, and a lot of that time Joey and Johnny fucking hated each other but they kept on playing because they had nothing else kind of thing and uh, Johnny actually ended up 
like Joey was dating this girl and then she left him and ended up becoming uh, Johnny's wife. And and that was, yeah, I was reading about that too. Yeah. When he wrote, Joey wrote a song about that. KKK took my baby away. Yes. Oof. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> they they, they had a lot they had a lot of conflict like it came out in their songs and stuff uh, there's another song called bonzo goes to bitburg which is about ronald reagan and some of the shitty stuff he did and johnny ramon was a big fan of ronald reagan joey ramon was not so like there was just tension from early on in the band to the finish where they just did not get along at all. It, it, it's it, like if, if people want to see like the really sad story of the Ramones, watch the documentary End of the Century, which is just depressing as fuck, but very uh, enlightening about the stuff that happened behind the scenes between those two people and just how like the rest of the band kind of struggled, like trying to keep things together. It's fucking sad. It's really fucking sad. Yeah, it was. It's so weird, too, because like. When you think of the Ramones, you think of people who are like left leaning versus right. Mm. I mean, they they speak to like the thing about the Ramones, and like one of the things that makes them like you ask me on any given day, I'm going to tell you the Ramones or the Rolling Stones are my favorite band of all time, and I generally re- lean more to the Ramones because they speak to the disenfranchised to the outsider, to the freak, to the weirdo, to the person who doesn't feel like they fit in kind of thing. And more often than not, a lot of my upbringing, my emotional core growing up and stuff is more connected to the Ramones than it is anything else. And Mm -hmm. like, I'll say this and like, I guess just sort of getting into the final thoughts of the movie. Like the, the thing I love about this film the most, um, a lot of movies starring real bands, we were they doing like cameos and stuff. They build them up to like this band is the biggest band in the world, you know, kind of thing. And it's like, okay, yeah, cool. In the Ramones case, it's like beyond absurd because even though they legit probably should have been one of the biggest bands in the world, they never achieved that level of fame anywhere but like South America. Like in South America, they got the kind of fame they deserved, but everywhere else they pretty much struggled. This movie just constantly puts a smile on my face and warms my heart that they got to be like the rock gods they actually were mm-hmm. in this movie and even you know again going back to even though they're non-actors beethoven of our time <laughs> <laughs> beethoven of our time yeah but there's like a there's a warmth and an offbeat charm that they have in this film that comes through and this movie gets who the fucking ramones were Roger Corman, uh, genius. Part of his genius was knowing to like let people who knew what they were doing actually make the movies under him. So in this case, it's like the people who knew who the fucking Ramones were and what they were fucking about made this movie and made like the best possible Ramones movie they can make that like made the Ramones great. I, I just I, again one of my favorite movies of all time. I love this film. So it's. It's so freaking hilarious. Okay, one thing I want to say, uh, just with like like suspending disbelief, mm-hmm. when the two guys, the two lackeys, were like trying to get into the laundry basket, like the they, yeah, they struggled to get in, and then when they get in, they have all the space. They have a lot of space because yeah, I got to put the camera in there. <laughs> yeah, I laughed. <laughs> oh my god, that's hilarious. Uh, and then another thing. Oh, this was another thing too to say. The whole technology thing was 
the permanent records, how they just chainsawed them and threw them out. I was like, mm-hmm. well, that <laughs> was computers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love the attitude, though. It's, it's said early on, uh, Riff is saying, who cares about high school and our permanent records? Like, why are we letting this define what our life is going to be? Once we're out of high school, we got a whole fucking life ahead of us. We shouldn't be stuck in fucking high school in these fucking arbitrary bullshit conditions. The whole message they of like favor the the ones that they want to favor. They don't favor like the different people. They favor the mm-hmm. ones that are like gonna make the high school look good. Yeah, like so Riff gets it. Riff gets it's like once we're out of high school, we actually are free. We have a whole fucking life we can do. So don't let your high school years determine who the fuck you are. I wish I could like tell this to a, anybody who's going to high school or is in high school right now. Your grades are not that big of a deal because mm-hmm. I barely got out of high school. I'm on my like finishing up university and at honors program. Mm-hmm. I barely got out of high school. I failed grade 10 English. Yeah. Grade 10 English, grade nine math. I'm on my fourth year university, like in an honors program. So that's a big thing. Like I was told that high school was this important thing and all this stuff. I learned fuck all in high school. Thank God I have some teachers that like encouraged me and said I was smarter than I actually like actually felt. Cause I honestly gave up when I got out of high school. I like literally just moved away and just took whatever program. Cause I was like, I'm too dumb. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and nowadays too, like all these, those people who don't have their high school, there's so many different programs that you can take. There's so many different things you can do in order to get your high school. So if you never got the chance to, and you need it, go for it, do it. You don't need to do the whole fucking stupid click thing anymore because everything can be either online or there's like courses you can take in school that are with other people who are like you. And it's, and you can go through colleges actually now to get your GED. So definitely worth doing all of you people in high school who probably won't listen to this, but (laughs) (laughs) do not think that high school has any control over your life unless you're a terrible person who's done something where like they're going to red flag you because you've like done something incredibly awful that leaves you with like a criminal record. Mm -hmm. Even though that's exonerated when you're 18, but um, just get through it. Push yeah. through it. You don't have to be best friends with any teachers. You don't have to do anything. Um, like I said, I'm in university and they always say like, oh, well, if you do extra this, extra that. If you want to get into some really high intense level, yes. Yes, you do want to worry about high school. Yes, you want to get into those programs. Yes, you want to get those scholarships. But if you're that person who's like struggling through high school and fucking hates waking up every day, just put your head down and get through it. Because yeah. like after Stick that your life is going to begin after high school. Like you're going to really find yourself. You're going to get into your comfort level. You're Mm -hmm. going to discover everything. Like I hated high school beyond belief. And now I'm like, I am in a very good position for myself. It's it's not the end of the fucking world. Don't put all your fucking bets on like, Oh, what, what, what is your career choice? What are you going to do in high school? Like just fucking get through it. And then, find out who the fuck you are afterwards there's no problems with you taking on jobs um that are not career jobs like Mm -hmm. i've been bouncing back through different types of part-time jobs till i finally discovered what i wanted to do and that's fine like you can change jobs that you want you can get into a job where like you get a raise every month and then or every year or every two years wherever it is Mm -hmm. and then be like i'm gone now i'm gonna go to school yeah like that's fine do that it's possible. Yep. There's 
there's scholarships, there's loans, there's um, all sorts of stuff. I'm fucking loans suck in Ontario, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a debt that's not as stressful as like actual debt. <laughs> it's yeah, there, yeah, yeah. but uh, but there, yeah, there's scholarships, there's opportunities, there's different things you could do. There's like literally you could take online courses where you like slowly gather. Anyways, we're on a whole different topic here. Mm-hmm. I'm just trying to encourage people, like don't make don't high school let it be like the thing that takes you over. Like if you're not good in high school, you suck for life or the fact that you weren't able to get through high school. Cause I know a lot of mm-hmm. people have to drop out for whatever reason, keep going, do what you're doing. Like you still have a chance. Keep being the best you. Yeah. Don't, don't, do whatever don't let, you need to do for you. Don't let, don't let people tell you your shit. That's the thing. Yeah. I didn't know now um, for a lot of jobs, you need to have at least a high school colleges offer GEDs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how it is in different countries, but I know that uh, Canada does it. Colleges do offer GEDs, and if you want to continue, you can take these courses and like put it towards your college diploma or college degree. So never give up, guys. Never give up. Yeah, you got Just it. Keep... If high school sucked, doesn't matter. High be like, sucked, be like, be like, be like fucking Riff Randall. Mm-hmm. Fucking just do do cool shit. So in um, fact. Sorry, before um, she said that she had the most attentions in all the school. I had mm-hmm. accumulated the most late minutes in all of my high school. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Yeah, you're, you're the ch- you're the champ. Yeah, I got a I sit down with the principal, vice principal, and she's like, you know what? I like people when they're on top, which I know is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Like, she's like, you know, hockey, golf, like they're on top, they're first place, but late minutes. <laughs> Anyways. Queen of late yeah. minutes. Yeah, well, well, your principal sounds like an utter boorish piece of shit. And guess she what? She cared about me. Like, as much as I didn't like her then, nowadays, mm-hmm. I, like, appreciate her because, like, she knew I struggled and she saw potential in me, so she encouraged me to, like, do stuff. Because she always did. So I remember one time when uh, it was Anaheim and Oilers, and I used to always wear my Oilers jersey, and she mm-hmm. was like, I'm going to make a bet with you. If uh, Oilers win... I have to wear an Oilers jersey the next day. If Anaheim wins, mm. you have to wear an Anaheim jersey. I'm like done, and I still remember that. And I think that's probably the sweetest. Okay, thing. I take it. I take it totally back. T- totally take it back. She but was, uh, she her methods sometimes are funny, but I think she really had her heart was in the right place. She really but, believed a lot of us. All right, so she wasn't a toga. All mm-hmm. right, that's cool. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. But I mean, same time. Look where you are now. It's true. You're doing very well. It's true. Uh, so a little bit of trivia here. Uh, Alan Arkish tried for several years to get this film produced. As I mentioned, uh, other various rough draft titles, high school spirit of 76 heavy metal kids, girls, gym, California, <laughs> yeah, which would have, would have been, I, I, I want to see girls, gym, uh, California girls and disco high, which is one that Roger Corman was kind of big on for a while, but um after Todd Rundgren and Cheap Trick and Tom Petty all declined the project, Arkush settled on the Ramones for the band in the film, and they got Rock and Roll High School as the title. Like if uh, this be, because if this had been Disco High, I don't think it would have lasted. Yeah, because Disco was kind of a thing that burned out really quick. Which is really unfortunate, because Disco was actually a, a fuck you to a lot of like racists and oh, yeah. like um, racists. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like a big, a big, yeah, racists and racists. Racist. And some well, of those very racist heavily people. Catholic people, right? Which are mm-hmm. racist. So, 
Yeah, but yeah, uh, very glad that this is Disco High because Disco High would have been forgotten as a footnote, whereas Rock and Roll High School is still beloved I've, today. Yeah, if they now, nah, I feel like because if they made this Disco High, it's not like they would have. It would have been. It would have been, been taken it would have been taken up by the gay community. Well, no, here's the thing. If they had made this movie Disco High in the format, like in the the sort of formula that Corman movies did, they wouldn't have been talking about gay <laughs> issues or anything like that. That's like it, it, it just would have been like but the worst disco the gay movie issues, ever. It's just like disco is a very appreciative of... Uh, well, like minorities and like disco is very... But that's was, what I was, mean, it, it wouldn't have done, like you said, it wouldn't have done as well. It wouldn't have carried on as, as long. Because, mm-hmm. uh, like I said, it would probably be something that's popular because disco is something that's still talked about. Like, that's how I know yeah, about yeah. the history amongst those groups. But still, those groups are very minimal. And it's still a smaller group of that group because, like, even in those groups, a lot of people in the LGBT plus, plus community don't even understand the history of disco. So, right. yes, you are right. If Corman had made, like, if Corman had produced Disco High, it would have been under his formula. So it wouldn't have been really about disco. It would have had maybe a couple disco tunes in it, but it's just would have been a sax comedy with no real anything that connects thematically to, like, what, yeah. like, you know, like yeah, yeah, minority right. communities and LGBTQ communities could connect with. Like, I'm, I'm sure there would still be people who would find something out of out of that yeah. movie, but I it would have been minimal, saying. right, you know? But I think also the Ramones just had fun with it, too. Like mm-hmm. You saw them have fun with it, so. They, I think they, a lot knew, of it, yeah. they knew it was goofy as fuck. Uh, so the high school in this was portrayed by the non-operational Mount Carmel High School in South, Cal- so South Central Los Angeles, which had been closed down since 76. The building of the school blowing up at the end, um, it was already scheduled for demolition. So uh, they did some explosions here. The explosion was five times bigger than what it was supposed to be. And since the filming was at 3 a.m., a lot of frightened neighborhood residents charged out of their homes not knowing what had happened. Yeah. <laughs> There was a uh, Mount Carmel school in my area. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Carmel? 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 Carmel. Yeah. Carmel. It's, it's it's not Carmel. caramel. It's Carmel. I said Carmel, but it sounded like I was Carmel. So, Carmel. Mm, caramel. Caramel. Mm. Mount Caramel. <laughs> the tastiest school in the fucking district. I bought um, chocolate today. Oh, yeah. So I'm craving chocolate. <laughs> put caramel in your hot chocolate no i just bought chocolate today oh okay. just chocolate I, I wish i bought caramel chocolate but i didn't i just bought hazelnut chocolate man uh the ramones were paid a total of twenty five thousand dollars for appearing in this uh but uh they also had to pay they had to play shows in southern california help pay for their hotel bills uh, during the 21 days uh, shoot, DD got arrested for fighting with a roadie, Jesus overdosed Christ. in jail, and wound up in Cedar Sinai Hospital with a uh, $3,000 medical bill. Uh, I also mentioned DD was such a bad actor that most of his lines got cut down. So his lines in this are, "Hey pizza and hey pizza, it's great. Let's dig in." Did you see? Okay, did you see all the pizza boxes and they're like, "Hey pizza!" Like, yeah. how can one person or four, pe- six people? I don't even know how many there were. Four people consume that much pizza. I mean, 
those like if you look at the stack of pizza boxes, half of them were obviously empty. Anyway. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah, it was ridiculous. But, but yeah. again, <laughs> how does anyone eat that much pizza? Yeah, just I'll just also mention where the Ramones were at this time. So like a lot of the stuff that music wise that comes from them during the concert, they play some of the earlier stuff. But most of the stuff you hear on the soundtrack is from the Road to Ruin uh, album. Uh, but they were recording their end of the century album during the time they were filming this. And that was with uh, Phil Spector, who, you know, famous music producer, also convicted murderer at this point, who was famous for his wall of sound technique when he was producing albums with like 60s girl groups and stuff like that. And he famously pulled a gun out on the Ramones at one point to keep them in line while producing. So this was like a really crazy time for the Ramones. So I kind of feel like this movie was kind of a holiday for them uh, because they were like working like dogs for Phil Spector, who might have shot them at any moment. And here they're just goofing around and having fun. And as I mentioned, this spurred a sequel. In 1991, Rock and Roll High School Forever didn't get a theatrical release, and Corey Feldman was in it, starring in it, and it's not great. (laughs) But, uh, I don't know, maybe we'll do it at some point, just to compare, but... uh, Yeah, we could do that. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. I I, th- I think Gary Hill likes it. Maybe we'll get Gary Hill on and do fucking Let's Rock do and Roll High School Forever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I know there's another one we're going to do with him soon, too. Uh, an animated movie, I think American Pop or something like that, which is kind of a musical and, and shit he mentioned. Uh, but yeah, we'll do that. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to do Moulin Rouge. Ooh. And I definitely got to take a break. I am <laughs> holding on to a lot of liquid right now. <laughs> Do your parents know that you're Ramon?
it I was upstairs standing in for the unconscious Argentinian. Please just stick to a little decorative piano. There seem to be artistic differences over Audrey's lyrics to Satie's song. I don't think a nun would say that about a hill. What if he sings the hills are vital in toning the disc? But, uh, but the hills break and shake. No, 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 no. The hill, the tone, the incarnation, the symphonic melodies. No. no. Uh, I, the, the, hills, the 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 hills, With songs they have sung for a thousand years. Oh! 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 
in candor for us. Audrey, you two should write the show together. I beg your pardon? But to lose a suggestion that Audrey and I write the show together was not what Audrey wanted to hear. Goodbye! <laughs> and that is Moulin Rouge from 2001, and we have a trailer. We're going to play that right now. He entered a world where fantasy is real, where he could be anything he wanted, and where he would discover the most dangerous temptation of all. Come and get me, boys. Diamonds are a girl's best friend. I believe you were expecting me. Yes. Thinking of falling in love with someone like me. I can't fall in love with anyone and make men believe what they want to believe. I believe in truth, freedom, and above all things, love. You're gonna go back for business, I can tell. I am willing to provide the financial resources to make. I require a contract that binds Satine to me exclusively. He could destroy everything. I don't care. We have each other. Make Christian believe you don't love him. He'll fight for me. Hurt him. Hurt him to save him. Whatever happens, no matter how bad things get, we love one another. Kill the boy. directed by Baz Luhrmann and he has done other things such as Strictly Ballroom Romeo plus Juliet or Romeo and Juliet from the 1990s of Leo DiCaprio was it Claire Danes was he was Juliet I think in that one if I'm not mistaken I'm like the worst person to ask I think it was Claire I don't know Danes why you have me as your co-host uh, I don't know you're kind of <laughs> cool um I'm you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Claire Danes. I remember because I remember one of my English teachers showed us this version of Romeo and Juliet in English class, and that was back around when, Cla- yeah, and that was that was back in like my so-called life era, Claire Danes, where she was like the biggest thing in the world for a little while. Uh, he's also done The Great Gatsby, and he's got Elvis that's just coming out this month, I guess, uh, the new Elvis biopic. Uh, written by Baz Luhrmann and Craig Pierce. And Craig Pierce has basically co-written everything with Baz Luhrmann that he's done. So Strictly Ballroom, Romeo and Juliet, Great Gatsby, Elvis, etc., etc., etc. We got Nicole Kidman as Satine. 
And if you don't know who she is, one of the you know biggest actresses in the world in the last like 30 years, Dead Calm, Days of Thunder, Far and Away, Batman Forever, if you like that shitty film, uh, mm-hmm. Practical Magic, Destroyer, which I think is pretty good, newish film with her uh, that where she's very unglamorous, uh, and The Northman, which just came out uh, this year, which is really good. Um, we got Ewan McGregor as Christian, just some guy, Obi-Wan Kenobi, who knows who the fuck he is. Jim Broadbent as Harold Zidler. Uh, Richard Roxborough as the Duke of Monroth. And I was like, I was trying to place who the fuck this guy was because I'd seen him and stuff. I was like, oh, yeah, okay. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Oh, Van shit. Helsing. He's in Van Helsing as Dracula. And he's actually showing up in the new Elvis film, too, with Baz Luhrmann. Uh, but it's like, okay, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and Van Helsing, two really shitty movies based on classical literary sources. <laughs> it's like, okay, some bad career moves there. Uh, John Leguizamo as Henry de Tulasi Latrec. Maybe. Maybe I got that right. I don't know. Um, he's... John, I'd say John Leguizamo is not one of those that guy actors because he's kind of yeah. in everything, right? Like, he got to start and stuff like Casualties of War and Die Hard 2, Carlito's Way, and then he's like in Tu to- Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Uh, then he shows up in Romeo and Juliet. Uh, he's in Land of the Dead. He's probably most known these days for being in the John Wick films. Um, then we got uh, Jacek uh, Coman as the unconscious Argentinian and Carolyn <laughs> O'Connor as uh, Nini. Uh, we have a synopsis here from called, someone called OG on uh, IMDb. The year is 1899, and Christian, a young English writer, has come to Paris to follow the Beho- Bohemian Revolution taking hold of the city's drug and prostitute infested underworld. And nowhere is the thrill of the underworld more alive than at the Moulin Rouge, a nightclub where the rich and poor men alike come to be entertained by the dancers. But things take a wicked turn for Christian as he starts a deadly love affair with the star courtesan of the club, Satine. But her affections are also coveted by the club's patron, the Duke. A dangerous love triangle ensues as Satine and Christian attempt to fight all odds to stay together but a force that not even love can conquer is taking its toll on Satine. And yeah, that's that's not a bad synopsis. I like that one. That's pretty that's good. good. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Do you want me to get in my thoughts first? or I was going to say, this is the first time watch for you. Mm-hmm. And I started last time. So I think it's your turn to give me your opinion on the movie that I suggested. You know what? I, f- I feel like in future episodes, like when you pick a movie, too, that's something I haven't seen. Maybe you should run the episode a little bit like you could still like get, you can still give me like all the clips and stuff to play and shit like that. But I, I kind of want to see you run a couple episodes at some point. I feel like you should. So, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, we'll build up to that. Don't worry. We're on no pressure. But uh, yeah. OK, so first time watch for me. I like this, but I did have problems with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I should mention first off, like I was doing some research on this. Um, so, you know, Moulin Rouge was a famous Paris nightclub. There's two other movies 
with this name, but this is not based on either of those. So it's like a totally new thing. So it's like, okay, good. I don't have to really know any sort of background necessarily. Um, this movie is kind of the personification of nonstop whimsy and flamboyance and excessive everything. Like just, just take those descriptions and just put them to like 120% and it's campy as fucking hell. Um, it is. I liked the use of modern music in the sense that I think it's like, so there, there's modern songs and then there's like people like using dialogue, like, uh, like lines from modern songs and dialogue. I think it's helped to maybe have the like, audience today today relate to what the characters in this film where they, you know, it's said a hundred years ago. It's 120 years ago now, basically um, what they felt about the Moulin Rouge and like their lives and like the world they lived in and shit. Like it's a way to contextualize how they felt about things. And like, you know, talking about like Romeo and Juliet Shakespeare and stuff like that in high school. I don't, I don't know if this is the same for you, but the big thing when we were like learning Shakespeare was like to paraphrase Shakespeare because, you know, the language is a form of English, but it's a severely outdated form of English with a lot of metaphor and stuff. So like you had to paraphrase it to understand it necessarily. So I feel like the use of modern music in this film is helping paraphrase like what's going on in the time and place that this is set in. So like, I really appreciated that. I thought it was like really well done that way. Um, I think Nicole Kidman is just infinite, mm. just like infinitely watchable in this film. Mm. Like she has never been sexier than in this film. Oh my God. Mm. Like Ugh. I, I, I just, I am sad by the fact that she like tried Botox once and like, kind of ruined her face by doing it like it's because she she is she is a woman who would have aged gracefully like she is absolutely stunning stunning okay so nicole kenman for all the people who appreciate women or attracted to women and ewan mcgregor for all the people who enjoy men Mm -hmm. and for those of us who enjoy both our minds are blown the whole fucking movie because holy Mm -hmm. fuck this movie Ugh, they were both so attractive. Like, oh my god. Like, uh. And then, okay. So Nicole Kidman, um, she played the very sexy. So when she sung, she was very sexy. But Neil McGregor, his vocals, goddamn. You, <laughs> that's that's the thing. You you were telling me when we were doing Velvet Goldmine. You tell me you and McGregor can sing, and that was sort of the impetus for us doing mm-hmm. this film. And yeah, you're right. He can fucking he can do it. He, he's good. He's fucking good. Cool. So you 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 can tell like he's he's uh, he's changing it up for Velvet Goldmine where he's trying to be like intentionally a little rough around the edges when he's doing his shit there. This here, is a, he's good. There's a few artists that do that. Like I noticed um, Minnie Driver. She's one mm-hmm. as well. Where in uh, Goldfinger, she pretends oh, to yeah. not be able to sing. Like she sings really off key, but realistically, she has like solid fucking pipes on her. Mm-hmm. And I think there's another. Um, artists as well. I can't think of the thing on the top of my head, but uh, they do a movie where they sound like they sing like shit, but realistically, they can like they can fucking sing. 
And I think it's because it makes it sound better. Like they really per- worked sing off key. Mm-hmm. So it makes them sound terrible. Like they know how to sound terrible uh, versus you have somebody who like sings and it's awkward for them. Like you take yeah, a yeah. singer and be like, sound terrible. Like, okay, let's do this. I, th- I think this, I think this movie does a good job. It's like anyone who can actually really sing all that well, they don't let them. They just kind of like, they put them off the side as interesting characters doing stuff. Um, yeah. Ewan McGregor, by the way, it's like, I think he's kind of note perfect as like the innocent love struck, young artist kind of thing like like he does it really well like that i was introduced to ewan mcgregor okay and oh my god like like 2000 it was 2001 Mm -hmm. so i was what 12 13 years old oh my god yeah you were just you were just learning how to wet your panties and i was smitten oh Mm -hmm. my god was i ever obsessed oh okay no Wait, is he the first one? Anyways, the first one where I like fell in love with him, fell in love with him because I what, think what, I saw him in another movie. But. Wait, 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 what do you think of older Ewan McGregor now with like the Obi Wan Ewan McGregor who's like got the beard and he's got a couple crow's feet around his eyes and stuff? What do you think of oh, that? Oh, I still think he's super sexy. Yeah, yeah, and he's still an incredibly beautiful man. He's like, such a that's oh, that's that's smiling. that's what it. That's that's one of the things people like Star Wars nerds have a big problem with that Obi Wan series because it's like this is set nine years before Alec Guinness's Obi Wan in the original Star Wars, so it's like how does Al how does Ewan McGregor get from still incredibly fucking sexy Ewan McGregor to Obi Wan Kenobi who is like this like way aged before his time fifty something year old dude. <laughs> It's it's a jump. It's a leap, He's but still yeah. handsome. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. so I am wrong. The first time I was introduced to Hugh McGregor was nineteen ninety nine with Star Wars. Okay, so you saw that first. Yeah, I did, and then I saw him later afterwards. Um, he looked I like think, a he looked like a child in Star Wars. He looked like a. But I like, think like, like nineteen ninety nine again. Nineteen ninety nine. I would have been eleven. Eleven. Oh yeah. Yeah. Now, he looked like a yeah. teen idol in Star Wars, did he not? Like, okay, like he, again, he, he, I was eleven. I was eleven. No, I'm saying he'd be in like Tiger Beat. Like he 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 had that fresh young face, even though you know he was like what twenty something at that point. No, right? it was Christian. Whatever his face was in Tiger Beat magazine. Was he? Yeah, it was him. Okay, okay. Yeah, we, all the girls were supposed to obsess over him. Ewan McGregor was not in it, but I thought McGregor, Ewan McGregor was so handsome, and uh, no one really talked about him for some reason in like anything. Um, like any of the magazines I read, I was supposed to like the other guy. Um, so it's just funny because then I saw Moulin Rouge and I'm like, <gasps> like, oh my god, oh my god, <laughs> Jesus Christ, he's uh, and okay, Nicole Kidman, I'm not a fan of hers. I'm not a I'm not a big fan of her as well as like in like I think a lot of her movies actually suck. It's kind of like uh, Sarah Jessica Parker in Hocus Pocus. Mm-hmm. Like she's just so fucking beautiful in Hocus Pocus, and every other time I think she kind of looks funny. And then Nicole Kidman, <laughs> not saying she's not beautiful, she is beautiful, but like I just I never saw her as attractive. But Moulin Rouge, it was like <gasps> I think this movie gets her right. Like it, <laughs> oh, like, they, like it, it, it presents it, it, it presents her in the best possible light. Like she has never looked better in a film than in this film. The angles, the makeup, the costuming, mm-hmm. the 
even the personality, like when she, uh, she's on stage and she does the seducing uh, Christian. Oh, the noises. No. Yeah. Just she sticks her ass in, her, in his face. Yeah. Those, yeah. Those, those noises she's makes like, I am into this. Like mm-hmm. sexy I, seductress. I mean, I, I'll, I'll fully admit, like, fucking Nicole Kidman is one of the, you know, principal, like, hey, I'm really into redheads kind of thing. Like, it, it wasn't this movie because, of course, I hadn't seen it, but it's like I'd seen some of her earlier stuff where she's much more ginger, where it's like, you know, they're not trying to hide her freckles and, and stuff like that. And it's like, I'm into this. I'm into this hardcore. Yeah. But oh, she's, is she ever beautiful? Is mm-hmm. she ever beautiful? And oh, I love I love the scene where Ziegler is like catches or sorry goes in when Satine and Christian are in the the elephant room, mm-hmm. and uh, she's trying to hide Christian. Yeah, and behind- does all this like where she's like I just feel like dancing, and then she's like uh, and then when she's on the bed she's like oh, this feeling inside me and she starts crying. There, oh my there, god! I love there, she's there's so good. good. There's kind of good tension in that scene too because she's Nicole Kidman's a skinny bitch in this film. Like she's she's pretty thin, and it's like so there's some, some suspense there because it's like she's got to really work to hide you and McGregor. I'm kind of like. I'm interested in the alternate version of this where like Nicole Kidman like dieted on milkshakes for a couple months before she took the role where she's got some hips, you know, and she's like more voluptuous, which probably would have been more in probably tune with with the period. I agree. But still, it is comedically it works. And it's really and she's fucking hot as shit. In it. And the underwear oh, she's wearing is like, oh, my God. Uh. I love okay. I love how she wears that red red dress, and she's like, "Oh, I messed up the name. It's a Duke, not Ziegler. The Duke, Duke. Uh, anyways, Ziegler. I'm trying to say his name. Ziegler. Mm-hmm. Uh, she shows Ziegler before she goes and sees the Duke, like, oh, sexy seductress, and she's wearing this gorgeous red dress. And oh, then yeah. the next, she took it off and she's wearing underwear. I'm like, why did you put the red dress on in the first place? Like, I don't like you met up with him and you already took off your underwear. Like, there must have been a scene that got cut there. That's that's uh, a that's an interesting scene though where like so she's doing the performance and like Ziegler and her hide under the, like the dresses of the other dancers for a couple minutes where Ziegler's like you know you got to seduce the duke or whatever so we get more financing to her show and she's like what should I wear and uh and she, and she like changes while they're hidden underneath the dresses of the other dancers or whatever like I thought that was pretty fucking cool. I yeah, I thought that. that was cute. I, I really enjoyed... Okay, so this movie was made to be a musical. Because mm-hmm. the way they did it, with the over-exaggeration, the over-the-top, everything there is, um, there's no way the storyline could be a movie. It's made to be a musical. Mm-hmm. Like like I was saying, um, uh, Rock and Roll High School was like an advertisement for... <laughs> yeah. For rock, but like, it's... It's harder to say, like, if you could have done the movie without the music, but I still feel like you could have done it without being a musical. Like, I still feel like it could have been, there's a storyline there that could have been done. Mm -hmm. This one was done specifically, written to be a musical. It had to be a musical because there's no way it would work without it. Because, like, the whole idea is taking new age songs 
and bringing it into like this cabaret style mm-hmm. uh, and telling the story. And I fucking love it because of it. I do have my issues, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I, I'm obsessed with the movie because I like, I love the music. I love the singing. I love the acting. Like, again, it's one of those movies that just looks fun. I don't know how fun it was to actually do, but they look like they have fun. Yeah. Like, it, it totally, it does, and it has become like a Broadway show or whatever, you know, kind of thing. But, like, it totally lends itself to that. And especially in, like, just the design of it, like, I do really love how the film looks. Like, this. Oh, the costumes? Yeah, well, well not, even, not even just the costumes, but how, you know, half the time it is actually set on a stage where you're, you're, you're seeing the movie play it on a stage. But then you have, like, dream sequences, too. Like, you know, fantasy mm-hmm. sequences, you know, where it at parts it looks like a silent movie in color kind of thing where it's so explicitly, like, stage stuff. Even, even though I think some of it's, like, CGI or whatever, maybe. Mm-hmm. But it looks so good and, like, it's so strikingly different from kind of anything that was happening at the time it was made like this movie kind of kick-started musicals as a thing again because really there wasn't a lot of musicals being done um musicals like were kind of like the same place as westerns for the most part at this point where they were kind of a dead genre and and this kind of kick-started musicals again for quite a quite a while um but yeah like this the the fucking design of this is fucking exquisite. It looks great. Um, I think my biggest problem with the film is I don't feel much of an emotional connection to a lot of it. Like I, like are you heartless? No, I, I, I just I just feel like the story is so kind of standard. And honestly, I have problems like with Mew and McGregor as the hero. In yeah, this. me too. I, uh, I like I was saying to you, I was I love this movie, but mm-hmm. I have a lot of issues, and I totally agree. Because I okay, so here, so here's the thing. Um, Satine's death in this, and you know, spoilers for you know, twenty year old movie. Uh, Satine's death seems in part like to be the universe teaching Christian a lesson that is sort of naive ideas of like freedom, art, and love are very infantile Um, because he like he has this sort of idealized version of like I'm going to fall in love with Satine and that's going to be it we're going to be in love forever and nothing's going to change that and you know she she's destined to be mine basically from the get-go and he has no respect for the idea that like she could love somebody else outside of him like he has no respect for that at all and he yeah. slut shames her at one point in this movie. Yeah. Like he like he outright slut shames her at one point, which is like, okay, dude, you need to fucking grow up. And when I she's I'm, trying to save the theater. Yeah. Like it's it's that's a big thing that bugged me. Uh again though, like when it was set, like how the timeline that it was set in. Mm-hmm. Um I I don't want to allow forgiveness, but the reality is like women were Oh, no, not, yeah, that, not like we have any more rights anymore. Holy mm, fuck! <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, women were uh, objects, so I could see this kind of playing out. 
like someone does fall in love and he does. Oh yeah, no, it, it makes sense why the way it would happen. I'm just saying it's wrong. <laughs> it's, it is it's, wrong. It's, it's, it's totally wrong, and like the movie like works on a level where there's this metaphor of like he's always talking about how love is like oxygen, you know, it's all we need kind of thing. And she dies of tuberculosis, like choking on her own blood, which is kind of like a real, like, fuck you, Christian, you know, kind of thing. Like you need to grow up. You need to be like better than what you are. And the thing is at the end of the movie, I don't think he is like, I don't think he's learned anything. Like he, he writes her story down and shit, but I don't think he ever learned that, he was wrong the way he treated her and the way he thought about her and the way he thought about their relationship. Like it feels like the movie is kind of condemning him a little. And like the movies ends on a really dark note. Cause the Moulin Rouge gets shut down. Like all, all the, like even though all those people and like the side characters and stuff, like do their best to like save the love of Christian and Satine at the end of the film, at the end, it's all kind of futile because she dies he becomes like a you know despondent guy a year later writing the story down. Looks like he's having a bad time. Probably not going to do very well. And the Moulin Rouge is dead. It's gone. Like the honestly, in a way, the Duke has kind of won as the villain in the sense, even though he's lost the love of Satine as well. I think he, it was he, um... he shuts it down kind of showing the reliance on the one female to try and like make the theater survive. Like, uh, um, Ziedler knew mm-hmm. about Satine dying and they said, don't tell Satine. And, um, he pushed her and like, whatever. And he was trying to make it seem like he was, uh, taking care of her, but realistically, mm-hmm. he was just using her because he knew that could help the thing, and it, was, it just yeah. shows you the abuse and mm-hmm. the uh, reliance on females. And um, oh yeah, Zig- Ziggler's a pimp. <laughs> like he he he's straight up just a pimp. Like using like because yeah, like the, the- he acts like he loves her and cares about her, but he doesn't. He doesn't know. Yeah, and he like puts her up saying like. Oh yeah, Moulin Rouge is gonna shut down if I don't sleep with the uh, Satine. And I, as much like the whole thing is sad, like realistically, like it's kind of, um, uh, like this uh, beautiful disaster. So mm-hmm. she finally gets to be free, technically, because realistically, she was stuck forever. Because mm-hmm. even if, even if this succeeded, she would be the Duke's. So yeah. she would have no freedom. And even if she was with Christian, she would have no freedom because she yeah. wanted to be an actress. And she's still like her being adored by people like he would always be jealous. So this was like a, a, the only freedom that she had. That's that's a great point, actually. Like, I, I didn't think about it that way until you mentioned it. But truly, like, she would have been she would have been stuck either way. Like, if, if the Duke had had her, she would have been a kept woman. If Christian had had her, I don't think that relationship would have lasted because he's way too ma- immature to like be in that serious of a relationship with her where she's she, an exper- All she had to do was fuck the Duke and mm-hmm. they could have had the show and everything was left alone. And he had this freak out where he showed up and she couldn't do it and all sorts yeah. of stuff. And it was like, 
I don't know. It did show you the whole obsession because this is the first time he was in love. And truthfully, like, I remember being in love where I was a little bit over head over heels insane. Mm-hmm. So it does show the the power love can have. Or I shouldn't say love. I should say a fascination, whatever. They say love, but... Um, do you think... Wait, do, do, here's, here's a question because this would not be uncommon in this time as well. Do you think Ewan McGregor's character is a virgin in this film before he meets the teen? I think so. I think so too, yeah. Yeah, I think just way his upbringing and how he was brought up or how he saw it, um, which also crushes him. Because mm, it shows like flashbacks of his father is like this like really regressive religious nut who's like, you know, why would you want to co- cavort with women and write and stuff? You, you little fairy, like yeah, uh, do 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 real things, man stuff. The okay, so there's a few things that I do want to to bring up that even though this, I think like I agree with it. I agree with uh, especially who I am. Like if I was ever with somebody like that, I would. Uh, I, I remember, like, I was in the process of starting a relationship, and they started showing those colors, and I was like, mm, I'm gone. Bye. Mm-hmm. See you later. Like, you said everything I, you needed to say to me in order to, like, yeah. make me be intrigued. But then I realized who you were when things started showing up. See you later. Like, I have no issue walking away. Um, but for her, it was just sad because, like, she couldn't leave out that that without being in a relationship like she had nothing mm-hmm. so either she left the duke with money or she left with the writer and they would hope to succeed like they literally had to use the duke in order for the moulin rouge to succeed or to survive they put everything on this one person like that's what i mm-hmm. mean like i'm happy it ended in such a dark ending because it just showed you the abuse of this woman who couldn't handle anymore and then what happened how she's made to feel like a fucking object when realistically mm-hmm. she was the backbone of the Moulin Rouge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um I think that's something like it's missed out. Like people don't see that. Cause they just see like heartbroken. Like I, died, I, heartbroken. Yeah, I agree with that. And like it, it's part of her character too, where you get the sense she wants to escape this and like do something else as well. Like so like the Duke is kind of initially for her is like an easy way of like maybe escaping this kind of thing, you know? And as the film goes on, she kind of realizes, no, it's not going to happen. But they signed her off her fucking like sex Mm -hmm. signed it off that if she didn't fuck the Duke, they would shut down the Moulin Rouge. Yeah. Yeah. Like it just, it's just one of those things that just shows you. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, it's such a sad tragedy because she couldn't even like live the life she wanted to. Like she lived the life mm. of fame and everything like that. Anyways, um, that the whole ending and the storyline super mm-hmm. fucking sad. And I was honestly like in tears for Satine because I saw her at the end when she's finally like has what she wants and then she loses it all. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that made me cry. Satine dying absolutely made me like. Mm. But although I will say this movie suffers from the fact that uh, Nicole Kidman suffers from theatrical tuberculosis where she can sing like a pro and look super healthy right up until the moment she dies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, 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 and interestingly enough, Hugh McGregor, on the other hand, once, you know, he becomes like sort of like a sick, lovesick over her and shit, 
he looks like he has tuberculosis. Like he gets mm-hmm. all sweaty and like pale. <laughs> yeah, when he can't have her anymore. Yeah, I, I oh, thought. Can I was you like, imagine being so disgusting though? Like when she says no and being like coming back. Yeah, I have issues with that. I have issues. There's a lot of abusive um, traits with the. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, younger watching this, obviously in love and being like, oh, he's so in love with you. Me now, if I had a relationship like that, yeah. See you later. Pack your fucking bags. Get out of my like life. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I understand why they did it that way because the whole idea was his first love. So, like, the insanity that it drove him. And uh, Satine just being, like, end of a ropes. And then the Duke. I fucking love the Duke. He did such a good job playing the fucking creep. Like, yeah. it was so good. Um, now, let's talk about, like, the more positives of this movie. Because, like, I'm getting negative. But I really do love this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, the fucking vocals of Ewan McGregor. Holy fuck. Blow my mind. Uh, the use of, like, songs. The, oh, my God the connection they have, like the whole love sequence that they have with the love songs. Mm-hmm. How fucking adorable is that? Like they pick the cutest songs and take the lines of the, like uh, the most romantically goofy love songs and he, make this whole sequence. Yeah. He, he seduces her with like a bunch of Beatles fucking songs, like lines from Beatles songs that he just like, Throws in there. It's just this lovely sequence of it. Like it's just this perfect. I don't know. It was so beautiful. Like I just loved it because, like, obviously with um, the Duke and whatever. And I understand at that point. I understand like confessing, saying, "Hey, I don't have much, but I fucking love you, Mm -hmm. and you love me." So that I thought was really cute, and I thought they did it really well. Like the song, it gives me goosebumps every time I watch it. Like it's just, Mm -hmm. it's so adorable. Yeah, I, like I, I cannot deny the talent behind like the, like the use of music, the sets, the costumes. Um, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not a big fan myself personally of like these sort of musicals where Go the way it. it's <laughs> like I, I'm not like this is a jukebox musical is the term for it, right? Oh, where I love it. <laughs> where where the idea that they use actual songs that you know. Uh, that are not original to the actual musical. Um, and sometimes it works in parts, but for overall, I, I found it sometimes a bit distracting. I, I don't, I think one of the biggest problems, and maybe this is just like one of the big differences between you and me when it comes to attention spans, whereas you need, stuff happening all the time i can definitely see like this movie is definitely going to be right up your fucking alley because it is non-stop like there's always shit happening me for me like the cuts are so quick that like half the time i am confused at what's happening i'm not saying it's not watchable because i'm still watching it but like half the time like okay 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 that happened this happened that wait 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 can we go back no, this happened, this happened, this happened. And it gets to be a bit too much for me. Where I can't focus on some things. Oh, like Because I, I am focused the whole movie, so you yeah. have to focus. It, 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 <laughs> it, it, it took me a while to like pull the themes and stuff that we actually talked about earlier. Because I was trying hard to like focus on stuff and like it wasn't happening. Um, but you know, overall, I'm still recommending the movie. Like, I, I think it's good. I think the music's brilliant. I think, like, the story is very classic, very, like, rote, like, 
like it, it's slightly based on the uh, the myth of uh, Orphus and Eurydice's. So there's there's that kind of connection to it. It's got some Shakespearean tragedy to it, Greek tragedy to it. Um, so I appreciate those elements, but it doesn't necessarily 100% work for me at the end of the day. But that's that's just the thing with me. Like I I I, I kind of wish maybe it was a little less fast paced and maybe slowed down at some point. But whatever. Um, Whatever. <laughs> I, I mean, it's 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 just a little too quick for me and a little too frivolous at times. Uh, I, I feel like some of the side characters are just kind of like there as jokes and they don't have anything really to do. Like it's weird. Like the um, uh, the the what 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 the fuck's the name of the character? It's the Argentinian unconscious Argentinian. Um. Yeah. He gets one really great scene where he does the rocks. He does Roxanne by the police, oh, so which is fucking good. brilliant. But it's like it's a one-off thing. Other than that, he doesn't like do anything throughout the entire film. And after Roxanne, he did it, his character just drops away from the film. Basically, I'm like, okay. I kind of wish they utilized. I do wish they utilized him more because mm-hmm. his voice and when they did Roxanne. Oh my god! He's got he's got like a Tom Waits ish voice when he's singing it, and he and he does it with the French inflection or whatever. So it's Roxanne, like it's great. I'm like shit because when so I good. like I really like that song when when I heard it, I was like, Is, did Tom Waits do a version of Roxanne for this fucking movie? I was like, oh no, he didn't. Damn it, that sucks. But the, still, him with like them explaining of the uh, it hurt me when they said don't fall in love with a sex worker yeah that's um, that's uh, problematic yeah that was big that was a huge thing for me but again back in the time it makes sense with what they're mm-hmm. talking about and how it is so yeah i can allow forgiveness because it's trying to explain like this time of life uh because you know like that's the thing if it was different like if people were not against it i would be um to like suspending disbelief on the storyline because like everything that happened like falling in love with somebody for the first time realizing what she actually does it destroying you like that's that's truthful like that's so truthful of like mm-hmm. the time um but yeah that that did bug me um but that thing with christian and uh the argentinian Oh, like they was such a good combination. <laughs> it was like literally my favorite song in the whole movie. Like, there's other things that I really enjoy when I watch it again. I'm like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. I love this song. I love this song. This was the one that it sticks in my brain because as soon as he does the rocks, rocks, it's so like you were captivated instantaneously. And it's the one I showed you that Ewan McGregor could sing because I remember mm-hmm. I'm like, I know this part because he comes in the song and I totally forgot the intro where Ewan McGregor starts because the first thing I, the song I think of is him and Christian because it's mm-hmm. so fucking good. It's good. It's really good. It is. Yeah. Um, yeah, but that's, that's pretty much what I got to say, but like, I, I liked it. I, I feel like it could have been done a bit better, but I still like enjoyed it overall. I, I, I still give it a recommendation. It's just, it's not. If rock you and like roll. musicals, 
if you like musicals, if you're someone who's really mm-hmm. passionate about musicals, I'd say definitely uh, check it out. If you're someone who's like less into musicals, um, obviously Rock and Roll High School would be a better choice. Probably would, yeah, yeah. But I, it's, I mean, it's a fun. It's a fun musical without being a musical. Like it is a musical yeah. without being a musical. Versus um, Moulin Rouge is a musical. It is written to be a musical. It is absolutely musical. There's nothing about it that's not musical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. We should do Tommy uh, one day. So we actually have done Tommy on this podcast. Was I here? No. No. You should listen to the podcast we did of Tommy. I should. You have a lot of podcasts, so I have been watching here and there, but I have not watched all. But I will watch it. But we should. You'll still do you'll, it. you'll you'll listen to it. You won't watch it. Oh, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> we should still do it. We should still do it. I mean, we could redo Tommy if if you want to, but I would love to do it. And I think to- like other people too, like new listeners do. Like, actually, what we should do is we should bully one of our podcast friends into doing an episode on Tommy where we could guest on their show and do Tommy. I think that works that. I think I, I, th- I think that works better than us doing the same movie Hint. twice. And uh, Okay, well, how long ago did you do a movie? And I did not do the movie. You did the movie. I did not do the movie. Just, just let me uh, check here really quick. I'll do a quick search on They Must Be Destroyed on site. TMBDOS.podbean.com <laughs> Okay, episode 70. So that was in 2016 we did Tommy. New listeners do not know that. <laughs> not everyone's well, going back that far. I, I, I mean, it's not that difficult to go back that far, honestly. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, no, I, I'd feel better if we, like, bullied one of our podcast Fine. friends into doing Tommy. Hey, podcast friends. Yeah. Tommy. Any so any podcast friend, any podcast friends listening to this, you want us on your episode that you're doing of Tommy? We'll jump on. No, it's any of our podcast friends. Do Tommy so Lee and me can join you. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, you were gent- more gentle. Like if you do it, no, I'm saying do it. Well, do it. Yeah, do it. You're like super. I, I'm like no, no. You're gonna do this, so we join you. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. The grind bin wants to do Tommy sometime in the future. Although, like, they've already got like three people like committed to doing it okay well i have an interesting background with tommy my dad has same background with tommy so so i'm I'm just gonna throw it out there fucking uh mike wood grind bin bobby trippett grind bin uh hold on or anybody else no i'm I'm gonna bully them i'm gonna bully them first and then anyone else who wants to you know get into get in you know they want to throw their they want to throw their bid out there that's that's first what I'm come, saying. First serve. Yeah. wants us. We're a wonderful uh, duo. <laughs> you, you, you need us for Tommy. We're there. Let's put it that way. I have some interesting background information on Tommy as well. Yeah, because your dad knows some of these people, right? Uh, my dad know. met. My dad was there uh, when they were recording. He was on okay. the, the set that was there. He was there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Mike Wood, Grindbed. You need to have us on your Tommy episode when you do it. You, you 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 can cut people. You need to bring us on, or at least Lady Lee. You can cut me; it's fine. But you know, my dad drank with a few of the actors. During there you the go. Recording. Tommy. There, she has to be on the episode, Mike. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't have to be on the episode, but she no, does no. have to be. No, on no, the episode. I'm gonna say right now. No, no, it has to be a duo. It has to be oh. us. 
No, we're in it. It's us. We've done this. We, we jumped in this together. You brought it up. No, we're a team. Okay, well, we'll, we'll, we'll figure something out. Um, so some uh, trivia for this. So the movie's plot is an amalgam of three operas or operettas. Uh, so we got a young writer, Bohemian friends, falling in love with a terminally ill girl is from La Boheme, based on Henry Merger's novel La Vie de la Boheme. Uh, a, courtesan, a courtesan learning that love can also be true and idealistic comes from La Travavita, based on uh, Alexander Dumas's uh, Phil's novel La Dame de Camarillas. I'm totally butchering this, which <laughs> also involves terminals. Finally, the plot line of the writer travels to the underworld of the Moulin Rouge to find his love and tries to take her back to the upper world comes from Jacques Offenbach's Ophius in the Underworld or Orpheus in the Underworld, uh, based on Greek mythology. Moving from the opera's overture becomes the pitch song for Spectacular Spectacular. <laughs> I like the name of mm-hmm. I forgot to mention I like the name of that. It's Spectacular Spectacular. There you go, bitch. So two trivia notes here about the uh, hardships the actors went through in this. Filming was halted for two weeks in November 1999 after Nicole Kidman fractured two ribs and injured her knee while rehearsing a dance routine for the film. Mm -hmm. So many of her scenes were she's seen only from the chest up, including uh, a real actress, quote unquote, were shot while she was in a wheelchair. Wow. Yeah. Which is just goes to show what a great actress she is, where she's like pulling off sitting in a fucking wheelchair where you're still like. She's acting. She's walking around. She's dancing. She's doing shit. Like, yeah, okay. Um, and here's a, here's a, here's another little problematic thing, by the way. At this point, kind of in a way, various tricks were used to make John Leguizamo's uh, character legs appear shorter as he, you know, he plays a dwarf in the film. That did bug person. me. Yeah, Cause, very because because they actually have an actual little person in the film as well at one point. Yeah, right? they use little. Like a little person, well, there's so many out there who are looking for work who are mm. perfectly capable of doing it, and they took somebody who was full size and made him look short. Yeah, that really bugged me. That was that was a uh, I was like, why the fuck did you do that? And this and this isn't like a Lord of the Rings situation where you're like want big name actors like John Leguizamo. Yeah, he's he's a name, but he's not a massive name. So why? Like if, if you had a character that's like a little person, you could hire it's, somebody. It still bugs me that they did that again because there's so many people out there that could fill mm. the part. It's the same with like when they use a fat suit on people. Um, it really bugs me. It's the same as old. It's the same with like I don't know. It it, it bugs me in general. Like the same with um. Oh, they do they do use a fat suit in this too with the uh, Ziggler character. Yeah. Um. The same with like Americans doing accents in movies, where mm-hmm. they could easily get a person with an accent. Uh, it just bugs me. There's so many people out there, talented people out there. There's so many fucking people in the world where there's access to people's things. Like back mm-hmm. in the day, I get it because it was harder to find people, but like nowadays, you could easily find someone to fill the part. I get the whole big name thing, but fuck off. Like, yeah, why don't you but, just take somebody who's actually fills in the role, who fills the criteria, not saying, hey, you're going to be a little person in this movie, even though you're not. It's all based on names they can sell to people. That's the sad reality. It's just like, 
we can get George Clooney to play a little person as opposed to an actual little person actor who's only done like side like roles for the McGregor and Nicole Kimmon would have been sufficient. Like why not yeah, yeah. other opportunities to possibly make bigger actors? True. That, like, I don't know. It just bugs me. It bugs me. Bugs me with a lot of other movies too. It bugs me. It bugs me. And, and, and Leguizamo, he could have played any other character in this film. Like he he didn't have to be the little person character in the in the troop. So like they could have legit had like they could have fucking Peter Dinklage in the fucking film. Like he was around. There, uh, there's all over the fucking. It's not as if it's uncommon. It's. Mm -hmm. Anyways. Yeah. It. it, Yeah. But uh, anyway. Uh, some of the shots of the stand-in who was of oh they had a stand-in of the correct height apparently. Jesus Christ! <laughs> While others he walked on his knees and special leg braces and where yeah I saw socks. that you could yeah. tell when he did the you could tell. Uh, leg was did the entire climatic scene from a squatting position to give him greater mobility in his role. Consequently, had to endure several weeks of physical therapy afterwards because he was doing this on his knees. For what like, happens when you take? Yeah, be yours. Yeah, there you go. There you go, bitches. Lady Leah spoken. Um, I didn't mention the box office budget for Rock and Roll High School, by the way. So uh, I'll just say for both these movies, they made money. Uh, like Rock and Roll High School's budget was. Uh, do I have it here? It wasn't that high. No, it, it was made very cheaply, like two hundred thousand like, to three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and it probably like did more than double that. Uh, and like most of the Corman stuff made money because they made it cheaply, and then they knew the markets to sell to. A budget for um, it didn't have like box office for Rock and Roll High School. Uh, budget for. Moulin Rouge was fifty million, made one hundred seventy nine point two million overall box office. So it did really well. Uh, both these films, Blu Ray, DVD, iTunes, Amazon Prime, uh, Voodoo, YouTube, Disney Plus, Moulin Rouge, all the places. Like both these movies are really fucking easy to find. And yeah, I realized <laughs> I said scholarship when I meant to say grants. When I was okay. talking about school. And also I realized Canada is a lot cheaper than the States. So. Yeah. We we have some like better things yeah. going on in Canada. Especially right now. Oh my god, don't know. That's a whole yeah, episode. No, we're we're no. yeah, let's not talk about that. But no. uh yeah. No. <laughs> no. I'll, I'll, I will just say any no, American like, ladies who want or ladies I shouldn't say ladies any American people who need access to abortions you can come camping in Canada and mm-hmm. we will help you just just yeah just put out there you know solidarity with our American brothers and sisters you know in these in these very fucking trying times um but yeah come camping if you ever need it yeah just come visit come to come to Canada we 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 like like-minded Americans. Is it camping? Camping, yes. Come camping. Come, uh, come up for uh, you know, kitchen party or a patio party or something. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, we're your aunt and uncle. Hmm. Yeah. We'll say. But um, not sure what we're doing next. We got a bunch of possibilities that we can jump into. Probably gonna just do. I think maybe we should just like do one movie next time, so it's like not a oh, three-hour yeah. episode, but. Uh, Lady Lee, where can people find you on the interwebs? 
You can find me at Mighty Tiny All Star on Instagram, where I post stuff about the podcast and stuff about pets. Yes, very very cute pets, uh, Angel and Sasha, who are beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> and every once in, and every once in a while, the beautiful Lady Lee shows up on on it as well. Oh so. yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Whatever. Like you don't know it. Um, and you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com. We can find all of our links over previous podcasts. Join the Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Best yeah. way to get in touch with us: leave comments. That's been going well lately. Comments. We get a lot of comments. So yeah, get, keep the comments yeah. coming. I love them. I love. I love people's feedback. I love hearing things. So yeah, yeah keep commenting. Give, Give us more comments. And uh, until then, thank you, Lady Lee. This was a lot of fun. I think we had uh, pretty good fucking discussions on both these movies tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening. Like, this is going to be, this might actually be an almost three hour fucking podcast episode. So, uh, this is uh, one of the longer ones for mm -hmm. a while because I have never been, other than the non shown. <laughs> the best the first time. This is one of the longest episodes I've been on. <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't put the music in yet. So, like, when this is... Thankfully, the Ramones music, usually their songs are, like, under under two minutes. So it's like, okay, I can... Uh, those are all going to fit in pretty well. Perfect. Then I got, like, a couple of Moulin Rouge ones where, like, okay, well, this is going to be a little longer. But, uh, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. We always appreciate it. And we'll be back when we're back. Goodbye. Bye. Wait. Do I have the right fucking I gotta look. I gotta look. I this is this is terrible. Yeah.
coraje divino Porque no te puedo convencer Que no te vendas, Roxana Listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. For further episodes of this podcast, please go to tmbdos.podbean.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts and pretty much any podcatcher that you can find. Thank you. Drive through.